Live. Welcome to another Break the Rule stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov, Levpo on Twitter. We are here with our next Argue My Position. We have got Armand, we have got the Prudentialist, and we also have our guest, Joel Davis, Jake, and of course, the great Giovanni Penacchietti coming at you all the way live, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be a real fun one. We're going to be talking about democracy and specifically uh, representative democracy. Just so we're clear, we're not talking full Athenian slave trade democracy here we're talking specifically about the democracy that we've experienced uh, more shame. or less yeah well more or less in the United States so anyway to get this started before we even define what democracy is in this case uh, I first just want some introductions Armand can you tell the good people a little bit about yourself sure I'm uh, Armand Amaliski I'm a you know pro I would say progressive activist in the San Francisco Bay Area um, I have the background in data analytics and economics, as well as have worked in politics in the past. And um, in the words of Emperor Palpatine, I love democracy, so it'll be fun to argue against it. Excellent. And uh, the Prudentialist, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I run a political commentary channel. I would may say more so I'm on the right wing of the political spectrum here in the United States. I have a background in history and law. And I've worked in political campaigns, nonprofit and media sector. So it'll be fun arguing for a system that I'm pretty skeptical against. Excellent. And uh, again, for the people who are watching this, let us know how the sound is. I want to make sure everything's good with the sound, good for the audio. And let's go right into it. Let's define what democracy is, specifically the representative democracy. Who wants to uh, define it first? Uh, Armand, would you like to go for it? Sure. Uh, I didn't realize I was supposed to have a precise definition, but I would say democracy is a form of government that is meant to more or less represent the will of the majority of the people in the nation that it governs. Um, it can range from everything to like the direct democracy, but we'll more focus on when you elect people to represent you. All right. And Prudentialist, do you agree with that definition? Uh, for the sake of us arguing today, I think that that's a decent definition to go off of. Excellent. So, Armand, you have the uh, first uh, point to make as far as why you hate this uh, system of democracy so well, much. Wait, why... love, love. Maybe we yes. should go pro-democracy than anti Well, we had, a, we had a talk in the background before. I think, oh, uh, Prudentialist, yeah. you want to go second, right? If that's all right. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, Armand, go for it, my friend. Sure. So, famous philosopher, scholar, and intellectual Taylor Swift once said, no amount of freedom gets you clean. I've still got all of you on me. And no amount of freedom will get a society clean because you'll still have the massive voters all over you. So a couple of reasons why I think democracy is a bad system. Um, I think we should evaluate this based on net benefits, the idea of on balance, does this system benefit more people more? Does it do the most good for the most people? Um, and is it on balance harmful? So. First thing is voters don't know what they're talking about. Um, I think you need to evaluate every system with a competence principle. The idea is that anyone or any deliberative body that exercises power over anybody else should have an obligation to use that power in good faith. Um, you wouldn't want a doctor who hasn't gone to med school. Like you wouldn't want a lawyer that hasn't gone to law school. You wouldn't want a plumber that hasn't doesn't know how to plumb. And in the same way, a voter that doesn't know how to vote shouldn't have power over you and if they don't have the competence. Um, part of the problem is that like democracy is not really set up for voters to make good decisions because the incentives don't make any sense. Um, 
every single individual vote, no matter how small the election, it's going to be a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the larger electorate, which means that if you spend more than five minutes researching and understanding rationally, like what is the right decision to make, you've already like made a bad economic decision for yourself because the way that you're going to shift the system by like your individual vote, which is not enough for you to like really spend a lot of time or energy or have a lot of stake in making sure that it works. And so of course people don't because they've got lives to deal with and they don't have the right incentives. And so what ends up happening is like a third of American voters, um, according to Ilya Salman's Democracy and Political Ignorance, a seminal paper on this issue, believe that the Marxist slogan from each according to his ability to each according to his need is in the constitution. Um, a third of them also cannot name even one of the branches of the United States government. And a quarter of them don't even know who their senator is. So less than a quarter know who their senators are. And less than half even know the state has two of them. So of course the, you know, the outcomes that we get aren't going to be good because the voters aren't rational. There's no incentive for them to be rational. And in fact, like economist Brian Kaplan suggested that ignorance actually in their research might be like something that voters like because voters experience a lot of psychological distress when they're presented with facts that counter to like what they want to believe. And so for example, in a, in a situation, if you ask like, let's say a liberal voter um, statistics about climate change, and then you present to them the statistics that counter that, um, they get really stressed out. They're unhappy, they don't like it. And the same goes for conservative voters when you present statistics on let's say gun rights or gun statistics in the United States, finding things that are factually true that disagree with their existing opinion is actually like something that makes them feel bad. And so their incentives are not to get to the truth and make good decisions. Their incentives are to do what makes them happy. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is that voters don't even like politics. Like we'd be doing them a favor. Uh, Michael P. McDonald, a professor in the Department of Political Science, University of Florida, found that when you do like a whole bunch of studies on where people like to spend their time on, what they enjoy, like politics is always dead last. It is a miserable, grueling thing. And yet we force people to like undergo it day after day. Next one quickly, um, I'll just talk about the economy. It's part of the problem with democracy is that it's always short-term thinking. You're always thinking about how can I win the next election? How can I beat the polls? Um, because it's driven by this desire to like win this next race, but it means that you're not thinking about long-term like economic and scientific problems, right? Like you're gonna not worry about the pensions you're gonna pay your workers like 10 years from now, because that's way a ways away. You're not gonna worry about infrastructure because that costs money today. You're not gonna worry about climate change as much because those voters, you're not thinking about the ones 30 years from now, you think about the ones today. Um, a good way to like illustrate this is India versus China. Both countries pretty much started um, in the last like 50 years at a roughly equivalent point of economic development. China became an authoritarian capitalist state. India became a capitalist semi-democratic state. Uh, and what you found is because of the democratic processes in India, they stifle like decision-making or really bureaucratic. India is now ranked 68th of 138 countries for overall infrastructure, way behind China, which is ranked 42nd. And it's had effects on the economy. For India, um, their economy is far significantly below China's and has been growing less. And so 
You see this happen in other places too. So for example, political scientist Jonathan Krikaus found that in Latin America, uh, emergence of democracy actually restrained economic growth because voters tend to elect politicians who restrain trade. Um, and that caused more conflict amongst the states because they focus on sort of like short-term xenophobic like incentives rather than thinking about the longer picture. Um, it actually hurt the economy and made people poor. So I think for you know those two reasons, if the voters don't know what they're doing and the short-term incentives of democracy um, prevent us from solving long-term problems, democracy's bad. Excellent. Armand, thank you so much for that. Uh, before we get to the Prudentialist, any comments from the panel? Well, one would be the equation of rationality in politics, but specifically uh, this sort of equation with democracy and the good and democracy with rationality. I think that's probably something, you know, we could discuss further, but that's, yeah, a pretty clear undercurrent. And Joel, what do you think, my friend? Um, there seems to be like a presupposition of democracy in what he's saying that like if everyone was rational and able to make good decisions, then democracy would be correct. Um, but the idea that even if everyone was rational and making good decisions doesn't necessarily mean democracy would be correct. I mean, like who's like, who's like it can be rational to make uh, to to abuse people to make so if you have fifty one percent of the population decide rationally that it's in their interest to like murder the other 49% of the population. Is this necessarily a good thing? Uh, possibly not. Um, the idea also you have in democracy is that it's kind of predicated on this idea. Well, if we have these two different sides, the left and the right, um, generally then, uh, you know, they're going to be forced to compromise with one another because they have to like coexist within the same democratic system. Um, but this is actually complete bullshit. Usually what happens is, is that they end up contesting each other for more and more power because it's kind of like a winner takes all in representative democracy. It's not like the left and the right govern in a coalition, either one governs or the other governs, generally speaking. And so they have to kind of subjugate and dominate the other um, and try and like rig the system um, or develop like hege hegemony over one another to kind of maintain domination. Whereas if you have like an autocrat, um, maybe they would actually give you a compromise between different factions in society because they don't really need to side with one or the other, but they can kind of give one side a little bit of what they want, one side a little bit of what they want. Neither side is going to be completely happy, but at the same time, they're both going to be appeased. So sometimes, you know, you need imposition from above, much like if you have like a brother and sister fighting in the backseat of the car, you need dad to like turn around and like whack both of them and say like, you know, be nice to each other. And then they can have peace, but they would never like come to a, like a peaceful negotiation. They would just be like, you know, they just continue fighting or whatever. So I think it's the same thing with society in many ways. Um, Interesting. But... Well, I want to uh, get to the Prudentialist on here about this. Well, not specifically about what you said, although Prudentialist, if you want to also uh, use what uh, Joel was talking about right now uh, to basically completely besmirch it and proclaim it to be absolute bullshit, go right ahead, my friend. <laughs> uh so are we are we moving now to my points or are we just yes just you're, okay, you're moving cool. to your points okay so i will start with um three points sort of uh on the pro-democracy side and then i will address uh what was made on the anti-democracy points so we'll start off today by acknowledging that we're going to be debating this in the format of a representative democracy we have to recognize that there's probably a system within that where it's more indirect 
our, our system of voters in place, we're not going to have the most direct access to our government. That's why we have these representatives in place. That's the definition we went by. Uh, with that being said, we can see why democracy in our modern sense is the reason why we should be voting for that position. Now, the first point is that of being harm and violence reduction. The democracy is a simulacra for civil war. It allows our us to accessor, exercise thymos or our political will to power while not necessarily engaging in sort of kinetic uh, civil conflict. Um, anytime that we have regime change or shifts in power throughout uh, history, we've always seen it to be violent. We've had numerous wars of succession throughout human history and through, you know, the forms of democratic, you know, process through an elected government, we obviously have a more bloodless, peaceful, nor um, on aggregate transition of power than we do through authoritarian or hereditary systems. Whether it's the divine right of kings or a hereditary monarchy, a bad heir or the lack thereof has caused countless wars throughout Europe and throughout uh, civilizations, whether it be in India, China, or other parts of the ancient world. And in doing so, you can see that through democratization and having a representative system, you are channeling that energy to create conflict. But in doing so, that conflict and that push for hegemony is then created in a way to create governing coalitions. And in doing so, is bloodless. So if we're looking at this as the way that was described by Armand, on balance, we can see that through the reduction of violence and the reduction of human loss of life definitely swings things over towards democracy. But secondly, we also need to look at how it extends legitimacy to the ruling regime, whether it's deliberative, direct or indirect democracy through such as a representative democracy. It is to ensure that our polity has a method of voicing concerns, regardless of the stratification of our society. Democracy, especially when it's a representative democracy, has a mechanism for the divisions and inequalities of our society to be voiced and addressed. Even the founders of our constitutional republic in the United States have recognized that the majority of the masses, while may not be what we would call the elite or the aristocratic landed gentry, they would still have a way to have their opinions concerned and voiced through America's House of Representatives. We've seen this in various forms of ancient democracy and now today in modern bicameral institutions across the globe. It allows these concerns to be heard. Even if you believe in natural hierarchy or address the needs that people are unequal, having a mechanism for those people who are envious or to have you know, their own inequalities addressed serves as motivation for competition and allows the regime to address that. So when you had Joel talking about that dad telling the two kids in the back seat, hey, cut it out, you have a mechanism for those two kids to cut it out and have their stuff heard by their parents. But then third, finally, is that any sort of large scale political system with a large mass of a population, whether it be voters or citizens, these nations or empires need some sort of fractal or diffused mechanisms for power to be governed. And in doing so, that's through a direct or um, an elected democracy with representatives. This allows you to address their needs and this allows you to address the issues of those concerns of the people and allows the various regions, whether they be farmers or more of our urban rural divide that we see now in many Western democracies be addressed in doing so. Through that, democracy allows these avenues to be addressed. But in doing so, let's extend now on to what Armand was talking about. So let's talk about how the fact that the voters don't know what they're talking about. Well, one, when we talk about the voters not knowing what they're talking about or they're focused on their day-to-day -day needs, well, regardless of the opportunity cost, what keeps people more concerned is the issue of whether or not participating in the system is worth it, which means keeping their immediate needs happy. We can take a look at the concern of the democratization through game theory, through the famous 2012 book, Why Nations Fail, from James Robison and Darren Ace Moglu, saying that essentially those who are concerned about their individual needs or don't know anything essentially have to game it out between those who actually 
actually do. So those who are in charge, whether it's the representatives or the elites, democratization, it usually is the bottomed out option if they feel it's better than revolution. And that's why even though they may not know what's currently going on or what their foreign policy of their government is, or may not even know their exact policy position, they do know that they have an avenue and a system in place that beats the alternative, which is, you know, usually some sort of violent revolution, which in turn refers back to my first point on harm reduction. But when we talk about the other concerns about long-term problems in democracy, the things that he very much addressed about, you know, pensions, infrastructure, climate change, those are all being addressed right now in our current political system, which is a direct representative democracy. Uh, we have climate change, infrastructure, and pensions and debt always constantly being referenced in our government. And the reason why is that our short-term concerns are immediately supplanted by the sympathies about the long-term aspect of our grandchildren and our immediate, you know, people around us and our families. Those sympathies are pitted against our own short-term interests. And in turn, that creates a long-term solution by balancing out the competition of the immediate long needs of voting with our wallets with the long-term issues that those things provide. Yes, politics does have the problem of having us, oh, I don't know when I'm going to be in power again, so I might as well seize it all up now. But eventually those very concerns of seizing up power now comes back to bite them. So it encourages more long-term thinking in the long run. So if we look at this thing on balance, we can see that the reduction of violence, extending legitimacy to our regime and creating more effective fractal governance allows us to easily bypass the concerns that people don't know what they're talking about. They obviously form coalitions, they vote with their wallets, and they focus on the long term by competing against envy with that of their progeny. And for those reasons, we can see that the only option to vote for here is democracy. But let, well, me, let me ask yeah. you then, how does democracy guard? One thing, you mentioned that democracy um, decentralizes or rather limits power, but demonstrably democracy only serves to concentrate material power into the hands of an sort of what would you say oligarchy by another name because what would you say to the critique that democracy doesn't pose any sort of natural immune system to the influencing of opinions and the voting patterns of people by other means besides just a sort of decentralized education network or media what, what would you say to democracy having no natural immune system to any sort of um encroaching of its citizenry or sort of a predatory network that is influencing um, various apparatuses of power that doesn't really need to rely on, on government power to come in and sort things out. What would you say to that? Like what happens if corporations all, all decide to like collude together and, and do certain actions uh, against corporations? The Corporations, man. What about corporations? <laughs> how, how does democracy limit corporations, man? I also, I also want to make sure Armand gets uh, in on this as well. Armand, would you add anything to what Gio said as far as uh, uh, criticizing what the Prudentialist was talking about? Well, I didn't know. My sister, I was like writing my rebuttal. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah, then we Prudentialist, go for yeah. it. Yes, and then Armand goes for your rebuttal. I didn't know we were writing things down. This is a first for me, but I oh, guess... that's what I was doing. I was writing down his arguments and responding. Perfect. Um... <laughs> no, this is... You guys are the first actual professional uh, professional people to do this. No offense, Joel. I don't Joel. write nothing down. I could keep it short and sweet. If you know that Sopranos reference. But yes. That, that was the Christopher uh, intervention where... Never mind, never mind, never mind. Don't yes. discrimination <laughs> <laughs> you're weak you're out of control and then... 
No judgment, Paulie. No judgment. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> oh, and, and also one last thing. I uploaded a new poll because somebody wrote pretty correctly. Lev, why do you always upload the polls before the speakers even get to speak? For example, yet? I have so, a, wait. I have an example. Okay, so Prudentialist, what if uh, Joel orders his Patagonia jacket, and um, <laughs> the corporations decide to totally fuck over people who are ordering this particular type of jacket? They've marked them as uh, I don't know dissidents or somehow, and so they totally just like price fix and gouge and uh, destroy. And outpriced Joel's ability to buy this Patagonia jacket. What so are you stagnant, going to do? Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's gonna happen? Well, uh, how do well, we destagnate? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how how can you prevent democracy from totally stagnating? How can <laughs> democracy become destagnant? How can it guard itself against various forces of decay and uh, oligarchy? What is the stat? I saw that in the chat a lot. Like people try to say, I'm stagnating. I was like, I don't know what that means. Don't worry, ignore, ignore the chat, please. <laughs> we're we're just memeing, bro. Just, just, you have to be there. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on, on the question of stagnation and how do we prevent that sort of aspect of, of oligarchy, the, the question becomes, and that's like the almighty question, right, about how does well, democracy defend day, itself? Yeah, so that, that's, been the all, that's been the question, right, uh, in, of how do we handle the, you know, either outside forces or non-state actors interfering with, with democracy and how essentially you're you're taking away the sovereignty of the state or at least, you know, what we consider that traditional in the way in which his history has sort of told us, the way that you sort of make sure that you limit oligarchy's uh, influence on that, and I'm arguing from the pro-democracy side here, is, is that one, the awareness of that fact it, it becomes essential. If you're aware that that Patagonia company is price fixing and screwing over the ability to either buy his jacket or, you know, that Patagonia company has sort of its own line of Pinkertons that are screwing over people that want to buy Patagonia jackets, that's what the point of making aware of the system towards democracy is. It's the immune system comes from its participation. In the same way that you'll see, you know, um, the, the marketplace work with in taking a look from a sort of Adam Smith lens of the marketplace, there are it is a self-correcting system. The things that we identify as flaws means that those issues need to be redressed within the polity. And by in essence, the state needs to assert its sovereignty over that, you know, institution. This chat is based. Based on a red pill. There we go. So, Armand, now oh, it's time for your uh, response. <laughs> oh, I just, my view changed for a second and I thought I lost folks, but sure. Yeah, the chat is very based. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> based okay. on what, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> on what? Based on what? It's not based on... So. Come on, Zoomer lingo, right? Anyway. That's the best meme. Oh, no. Um, okay. So, first, let's talk about like the arguments that the Prudentials presented, it's so weird for me to be like addressing a black and white. Uh, I don't remember. What, is that John Locke? Uh, it is Edmund Burke. <laughs> Edmund Burke. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Well, the ironic given the position you're arguing, I guess. But um, <laughs> all right. So first of all, let's talk about this issue of harm and violence reduction. It's just like, it's flatly not true. Um, first of all, so scholars have actually found that democracies are more likely to initiate wars and point 
in conflicts with other countries because politicians uh, who are democratically elected have a lot of pressure to perform basically. And so Gilberto and Chrisman Cox did a study of 125 different countries between 93 and 2007. And what they found is that in democracies, politicians face public pressure to fight the enemies of the state and initiate a war and a conflict. Autocrats, because they have the discretion to make decisions based on what is in their self-interest and therefore the power of their country's self-interest, they're more likely to back down from those conflicts because they can make a decision absent public pressure. So you're actually gonna have more wars because of democracy. The second thing is actually when you're switching, you talk about like regime change and democratic transition, um, but ignore the examples I had of China, specifically China and modern autocracies have established sort of like technocratic procedures for which people can transition power peacefully. Xi Jinping transitioned power peacefully from um, Hu Jintao who transitioned power peacefully from, I don't recall the previous name, but like they've gone a lot smarter. And so autocracies have learned it's not in their self-interest to have a giant war every single time. And the successful ones like in Singapore have procedures and policies that aren't full democracy, but also allow you to do it, you know, transition power without having a war every time. Um, so second, they're talking about method of voicing concerns. Like, I don't care if people like, well, a couple of things. Like one, that's not what should matter, right? Like if people feel heard or not heard, who cares? What matters is whether the government is performing to make the most good for the most people. But second, people have no idea what's going on. So they don't even know if their voices are heard, right? Like a quarter of them don't know who their senator is. Half of them can't even tell you like who the current, actually there's an interesting poll, like for the first two months or so of the, uh, after the election, there was a large portion of people who thought that Joe Biden was already president. They didn't understand how inaugurations worked. Um, and were so the whole mess and confusion about that like people don't have the ability to even know if their voices are heard because like it doesn't make sense for them to invest that much time and resources when the decision they can make is a very small impact right um and then finally uh we talked about like oh well, we need some way to make sure that people's voices are heard but polling is notoriously like super unreliable you can shape polls to distort people however they you know what they think or believe um and when people actually vote at the poll like different polls, when they actually vote for politicians, oftentimes like we find that they don't even know what they're voting for. They don't know what their politicians' policies connect to. Like, a, I, think, I think it was like a quarter of Donald Trump voters in the last election cycle flipped. I thought that he was um, for single-payer healthcare. Um, there are folks who supported Biden because they thought he was be like more pro-gun rights. Like the connection between what voters think and what they're actually voting for, super loose and not tied. So there's no representation here. Um, let's talk about my arguments then, going back to my original argument. So the first thing is um, this idea of, uh, I guess it really ties to concern about individuals knowing that they have agency and avenue. I think that really applies to the whole argument about like method of voicing concern. Like individuals don't really know what concerns they are voicing. And secondly, they're not making good decisions for the best outcomes for them, right? Like preserving their life, preserving their health, preserving their long-term prosperity. And so I think you can just really cross-apply um, the arguments in the previous case there. Uh, and then finally, talking about this idea of like, oh, long-term concerns are being addressed. Like, no, they're not. Uh, sorry, it just frustrates. So first of all, like there are 4 trillion unfunded liabilities in the United States today, 
right? Like these pensions, yeah, people talk about them a lot, but the reason they talk about them is because they don't get addressed, right? It's just a thing. That's the whole fundamental problem of democracy. If you were in Singapore or China, they just say that we'll do it, right? Like we'll raise the taxes, we'll cut the fees, we'll cut the pensions, we'll solve the problem. Um, second, climate change is not being solved. Like the National Panel on uh, IPCC specifically said that we're currently on the path with nothing changing to three to four degrees of Celsius, which for context is really bad. Um, six degrees would make us equivalent to, um, it would make the planet essentially uninhabitable, right? Like we're closer to the path on that. And because democratic regimes can't like get their shit together on commitments, um, they're screwing up the ability to have long-term priorities. And actually autocratic regimes are some of the ones that have made the fastest transitions to clean energy. So while China, for example, is still like a huge emitter of CO2, like they flipped really dramatically much faster than the United States has been very slow to change sort of its investment in renewable energy and all that stuff. Um, and on infrastructure, like I had an example earlier, right? Like India and China, compare them side by side. India hasn't invested in this infrastructure. China has. Compare that Singapore compared to the United States, like technocratic regimes um, invest in long-term problems, democratic ones don't. So I think for all those reasons, vote no on democracy. Can I, can I jump in here quickly? Because I sure. still remember the first point that you made, which was uh, basically saying that uh, a study <laughs> that like uh, on uh, basically de democracies are more likely to go to war. Yeah. And then the time period was between like 93 and 2007. So you That's picked right. a time period where America kept going to these, going to war and then kind of like pressuring all the world's democracies, which are only democracies because America was the global hegemon mm. and had to be democracies. Otherwise, America would invade them and make them democracies. That's to pressure them all to like send a certain amount of troops to grant legitimacy to the, particularly like the Iraq war is like the most obvious example of this. So, I mean, I think it's like pretty like, um, you're just picking a really convenient sample at a very convenient time period when clearly the United States didn't go to war because of popular sentiment. Uh, the United States went to war because of geopolitical reasons and then popular sentiment is just manufactured. I think this is actually like a better argument for why democracy is retarded is that um, there is no will of the people that can actually be epistemically discovered through the democratic system because um, like the actual like political discourse itself through which the uh, you know, the, the kind of participants in democracy actually understand their own positions and understand their own kind of like political consciousness is manufactured by like basically an elite, uh, which is like a kind of a, a subsection of intellectuals, the media, um, set of think tanks, uh, foundations, um, yeah, basically just a set of organizations that like design all of the political beliefs, opinions, news, etc. And if you trace them in the United States or any other like, like modern democratic society, um, basically uh, all these institutions are kind of funded by, you know, a wealthy elite of bankers, um, other kind of financial interests and are deeply connected to every country's uh, like intelligence apparatus. So really like, popular sentiment is just like a um, manufactured product of, you know, an elite that governs. So there is no actual real thing, democracy it doesn't actually exist. It's just like a, a really good illusion that an autocracy can create around itself. Um, uh, so yeah, I think that's important. I, I would still say though that there are tension points that can be maneuvered by certain people like Trotsky uh, did back in the day when it came to the dissatisfaction that Russians uh, were uh, facing under the uh, czar. Like a lot of these uh, priests that they had there, you know, the Orthodox priests, 
the uh, Russian people themselves, like even the serfs, they were getting pretty tired of these people. Uh, bossing them around all the time and at a certain point if something snaps then people do kind of uh, you know put themselves in the right position to make the most of it but I do see there being these natural reactions that occur too like one of the incidents uh, that uh, created the uh, first Russian Revolution in 1917 that was a pretty random one I'd say when it came to uh, one soldier fired a shot at an innocent, and that was the uh, straw that broke the camel's back there. So again, this isn't something that was orchestrated by the elite. This was just something that, uh, you know, was a brewing sentiment that then, sure, you could say Germany partly financed it, and uh, Lenin and Trotsky got in there to do what they did. But still, there were sentiments there that people were feeling that uh, had to have some kind of a, a reaction, regardless yeah, yeah. of whoever but, was but there. Is, I think but this doesn't also, mean... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that this is is what uh, Noam Chomsky talks about in his book, Manufacturing Consent, where this is basically, I mean, we all remember, well, I don't know how old everybody is, but you remember Occupy Wall Street. Everybody was sitting there out in front of the big banks and stuff like that. And now you have almost that same group of people, you know, at BLM protests or whatever, sponsored by Goldman Sachs. So it's like, no, this stuff does, it, 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 there is a natural reaction, like what Lev's saying, but there is a... There is an elite that does sort of figure out a way to harness this and introduces some sort of new outrage and then redirects this into whatever they want. I mean, this is you can go through, just through the list of everybody who is currently sponsoring the current outrage, which is just mega corporation after mega corporation, which was being protested, you know, at the beginning of the last decade. And now they're basically pushing these protests themselves to their own ends. I would also add that like being outraged isn't making a decision, like making a decision, like being outraged is just the idea that, oh, we need to have some kind of new solution as a problem. So like what the like, so like, yeah, maybe a lot of the political problems that exist are real problems. And obviously, like part of like manufacturing the public will is like literally manipulating the actual feelings and impulses and like um, uh, actual situation of the people uh you know in, in a society because obviously you know if you're if you're a skilled propagandist like you have to kind of you have to kind of hack the emotions of the normie to get them to care about whatever your proposed solution is but generally the proposed solution has nothing to do with popular sentiment and is entirely manufactured by a kind of epistemic technocratic elite um you know the example of like global warming uh, that Armand uh, put forward. I mean, the idea, like, global warming is, I mean, in my opinion, it's bullshit, but it's clear that, like, the whole discourse around it is manufactured by an elite. You have one side of the debate funded by, you know, uh, fossil fuel companies. You have the other side of the debate um, that's kind of supported by, like, the UN and all these other ma massive international institutions. And they're, they're engaged in a kind of battle with the average person on the street, like, Either they just get their propaganda from one side or the other side, but they don't actually know what the fuck's going on. Like, you know, the whole like believe science crowd, they don't know the first thing about climate science. Uh, and uh, so the like, th there is no like popular sentiment that has any kind of epistemic definition, has any intelligibility. Popular sentiment is just raw emotion. People are pissed off, um, but it, it doesn't actually direct itself to political decision making without like coercion. 
So uh, before we get to the uh, rebutal, I want to ask Armand, do you agree with what Joel was talking about? And this isn't even like in the debate degree, but just like in general, were there any things, I know this is kind of partly taking the mask off, but I am curious as far as manufacturing uh, consent and all of that stuff, uh, do you agree with the points that were brought up? And if not, where do you disagree? Um, well, I think it's less, I agree with the general premise. I just think it's, I'm a little more cynical about how calculated it is the truth is that like public opinion the vast majority of people don't think about politics most of the time so if somebody calls them up and says what do you think about x um they're making an impulse decision based off of that moment and it could be if you phrase the question this way suddenly like abortion is a good example of like you can get whatever opinion you want on abortion based on the examples you use and like the way you phrase the question so simultaneously, there are Republicans citing polls saying Americans think abortion should only be like this very limited instance. And then Democrats saying the opposite. And both of them represent like real honest data. It's just that like average person isn't going around sitting down thinking, what is my exact calculated position on abortion? It just they'll answer the pollster and tell them even like actually this is a good way that Donald Trump was like a good representation of like the American id because like. If you sat down or like, what does he believe in his heart of hearts? There's a bag of cats like in his brain, right? Like, it's just like, maybe this time he believes this and this time this, and it's an impulse. And so I think people attempt to manufacture consent um, and they create narratives and they fight over it. But I also think that even the epistemic idea of like the American people believe X precisely is an illusion. Uh, uh, wait, what was an illusion? That Americans um, the believe. idea, the American people, like, you can definitively say the American people believe X, Y, and Z, like, as a fact, I think that's an illusion. Would you agree with, uh, I think the consensus here is that certain things have been uh, established as a kind of orthodoxy in, let's say, uh, red areas and uh, orthodoxy in blue areas. And it's very hard to get people to uh, think uh, differently just because this was the environment they were raised in. Well, it's not just hard. It goes back to actually the argument I was making earlier about social incentives. Like the average, let's say you live in like a really conservative area and everyone you know is like very pro-life and very religious. Um, and let's say you are, or, and, or for climate change, everybody thinks climate change is BS. If you sat down and just spent like a year of your life researching and looking at the data and science, so like maybe you could be convinced that climate change is real. But like, why would you, right? Like you're going to, you're going to be ostracized by your friends, your peers, everyone you know, you're going to like stand out as a weird one. Like you're not going to get along. You personally changing your opinion on it is not going to affect any outcome in the world, right? Like your opinions tend to be more about like fitting in with the people you're around yeah. than they are about like trying to discover truth, which is, um, you know, why I think, I guess it's confusing here. Like no, no, this the, isn't confusing at all. Debate, yeah. But in the frame of this debate, if I was yeah. making that argument, I'd say that's an argument for technocracy because experts have a real incentive to figure out the truth because they are responsible for, like, it is their job. And, like, therefore, like, that's why, like, Chinese uh, leaders, for example, like, try to promote economic growth because the economy doesn't do well, but, like, they get executed. Um, and so, but even in my, like, democracy head, like, my real personal opinions, it's, um, why I think like these narratives are a lot more about people's in, uh, 
These narratives are a lot more about like social tribes and social signaling, which is why when you want to do persuasion, it's less about sitting there and arguing at people like believe the science or here's a million studies and more about trying to figure out like talking about their beliefs, their context. So for like environmentalism, when you talk to conservatives and principles of like preserving, you know, God's stewardship of earth and the heritage of our culture and community and clean air, it's a lot more persuasive than, um, dumping a lot of statistics and saying like, you need to care about endangered species. But even this idea of believing the science, like it presumes that science, like institutional science is a sincere epistemic process, but like for the same reasons why democracy isn't a sincere epistemic process, neither is science in most cases. Like the people who actually pay for, like you said, like oh, it's their job to be experts on a particular, uh, uh, you know, whatever particular domain that's their job to be climate scientists whatever but who actually like gives them research grants like where does their money come from um you know if they were to hold a counter position to like whatever the hegemonic paradigm in their particular field was would they lose their job would they still get paid and the reality is that in most sciences no you have to kind of agree with the hegemonic paradigm in whatever science it is and there is very little toleration for alternative views within the institutional matrix and so in my opinion like most science is bullshit for the same reason that like even if you were to get it to take hold a democratic vote and decide upon like hold referendums on various issues of the day like it, it, for the same reason like th there is no kind of there is no i don't even believe that there is like a process that you could like produce in a kind of like uh in a perfectly like um neutral scenario where you could get to this because uh you know everybody ultimately when it comes to politics is is kind of always kind of rationalizing their their intuitions so like on the abortion uh issue it has nothing to do with science whether you analyze the science on abortion or whatever it's whether you think it's right or wrong it's like a moral issue and morality like these kinds of moral valuations are not products of rational belief but they're well, that, that, um, pretty rational in intuitions well, that's an interesting point about warranted true belief, in other words. I think like what's interesting, what Armand is doing is sort of like a, an interesting approach to anti-democracy in terms of like a pure like technocratic rule, um, a pure secular technocratic rule, where, whereas before I would say the past hundred years, the conception of regimes that were anti-democratic were very much aligned with different epistemic and even metaphysical frameworks that didn't really consider the rule of the mass as a legitimate form in terms of like imperium imperium right sorry imperium imperio like the state within the state the empire within the empire in terms of legitimate authority emanating but it's pretty interesting because you, you you're going back to china as the best example nowadays which is valid right but i just think it's very interesting that this is going from one form of anti, like one form of pro-democracy to a form of anti-democracy that is ostensibly born out of the original conception of like post-enlightenment secular democracy to begin with. Now it's like, just take the mask off and now we're going to have the rule by experts that Jeff Bezos has hired or whoever, or Bill Gates has given grant money to. So it's pretty interesting, uh, and so Prudentialist, what would you say? Don't you think that uh, the technocracy is going to win in the end and that uh, the people are going to be crushed, crushed like the bug people they are, the small-souled bug men that they are? So uh, what's going to happen? Every time I come on here, you guys talk about bug people. <laughs> oh, 
I know it's a 2015 meme, but it's uh, yeah. Prudentialist. <laughs> so, what are, are we? Are we are we are we taking the mask off? Not now, not yet. Or... We still have. No, we okay. still got a few uh, twenty. We minutes. still got te ten minutes because it's five forty eight. So technically speaking, <laughs> around ten minutes, and then we could take the mask off for then real. The torture. Then the the Judas cradle <laughs> will be lifted. So. Oh, well, uh, that's why I was just asking because I know that we were uh, addressing it earlier. Um, so in regards to the the technocracy aspect, I mean the technocracy arguments that I'm hearing because we, we we keep going back to China, right? There's numerous issues China. that we can take. Yeah, China. Yeah. There's so many issues that we can we can address there. Um, one, it, while there are issues about unfunded pensions, the, the thing with the Chinese technocracy is that it's so focused on economic growth, it doesn't even really consider the you know money suck that is sort of um, pensions and liabilities. You have a population almost equivalent to the entire population of the United States, so roughly 300 million people or so. Um, that are over the age of 65 that don't really have the equivalent of a social security safety net that we have here in the United States. Um, and that's within China. Not to mention that if we're going to talk about climate change and how China's doing so great on that issue and thinking about long term, 58% of their energy is still reliant on coal. Most of the things that come out of the Paris Climate Accords, for example, are mainly being pushed by democratic states. China is still one of the world's largest polluters. And the United States' carbon footprint is equal to its levels in this is a 27 year low. Like we're, we're doing a lot better, arguably, under our system than we are compared to our great geopolitical rival in the Orient. So if we're going to make arguments on technocracy, sure, it's great to rule by experts. But if you're going to refer back to what Geo is talking about, the, the imperial, the empire within the empire, that whatever the ruling hegemony is inside that state is going to be mandating it to maintain its sovereignty and to maintain its control. You're not looking at the long term. You're looking to make sure you're not getting executed. So the exact same criticism that comes out of democracy in regards to immediate short term interests is coming the same thing out of those technocrats. They're not thinking about the good of the state. They're not thinking about the good of the population. They're making sure that they don't get themselves sent to a prison camp where their organs will be forcibly sold to party elites for 10,000 yuan. That's where we're at. In regards to the other aspects of things like conflict and whatnot, yeah, it's a, Joel made a very good point. It's a very cherry-picked study of American, you know, adventurism and around the world, and that ignores like the last, you know, four and a half thousand years of human history prior to the Enlightenment of liberal democracy, where kings and other aspects went to war. Just look at, you know, the first through fifth Crusades about you know, the Arab Caliphate versus Christendom and the European kings that were in there, not very many democratic states involved. If we're going to be taking a look at who's killed more people, I think we can definitely see other forms of anti-democracy have been killing people for a lot more and a lot longer than democracy has. Not to mention that we are, despite all of that, we are relatively living in the most peaceful time in human history when more countries on earth are more democratic than they have ever been in the history of human governance. And it proves that point extensively, um, at least for the pro-democracy side. When we're taking a look at the aspects of the legitimacy of the regime, again, you have to refer back to why nations fail from uh, Moglu and Robinson. When the ruling elite are not doing their job and keeping both themselves and the functions of the government working, the sovereignty working, you know, making sure that the, um, you know, Jeff Bezos of the world are doing their jobs, people are eventually going to have to game it out as to whether or not violent revolution is the better alternative or to just suck it up and live through the system. For right now, things are still relatively okay. But at the moment that things start getting too far, whether bread line or, you know, food distribution centers get ruined, chains of supplies get ruined, things are going to get blown 
bloody. So you have the responsibility of the sovereign, which is the government, to take action. And right now, through our representative democracy, that's the way that it functions. Now, the way that you sort of correct that issue, I think, ironically enough, is making it more indirect democracy, but that's a conversation for a later time. But overall, we can see that democracy itself, while flawed, is still proven to be more effective, at least in the means of keeping that balance between sort of that managerial, you know, 20 percent Pareto principle and the, and the masses in check. But, but about um, the, the text you keep referring to, uh, I also have that book, Why, Why, Demo- uh, Why, Why Nations Fail. Yeah. Uh, an, another point would be that the the sort of perverse incentive structures that crop up in a lot of these failed nations, uh, how would democracy, and this has been a while since I've read the book, but like how 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 Same. would demo- yeah how would democracy ensure that there are proper incentives? For example, would you not want a democracy to be? But again, I guess this goes to the purpose of what a democracy or in any nation is for in terms of the health and the well-being of its people. But what defines that people say, for instance, you have a situation where in certain in American democracy, for, for instance, there's incredible political balkanization. There's no cooperation, even between the genders, for instance, um, people don't aren't incentivized anymore to have sort of families or productive relationships between each other, even on the most basic of levels. And and so you see all of this rot and decay everywhere. And so why, how would a democracy, like, instead of like full blown, like, you know, let's go back to Imperium, let's have, you know, divine right of Kings, apart from like a full blown sort of like, I don't know, uh, Adrian Vermeule, Catholic integralist, uh, Castizo futurist imperium. Apart from that, how would you say um, people should choose to be productive citizens and create the conditions of optimal family structures when you could just, I don't know, pay Ayala on OnlyFans <laughs> to do that for you? Like, what, what, how does democracy inspire greatness in the hearts of its own citizenry, in other words? I know that's like a very fucking tall order for a few minutes that we have left of this first debate, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. And um, then uh, Armand, uh, I would love to yeah. hear the last point from him as well. But go for it, Prudentialist. Yeah, let, let, let's let's go answer this incredibly loaded question. Um, <laughs> so like, the, so the, the heart of the question that you're getting at, right, is like, how, how does democracy solve the issue of sort of cultural decay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the first thing that becomes of, uh, upon that is that democracy, at least how it functions here in the United States... Uh, one is was originally formatted to be indirect and incredibly local, um, and, and to do so, the localization of our democracy must be reinvigorated, which means less and less attention needs to be focused on Washington, and more and more attention needs to be focused on your state capital and your, your county. So for me, it would be like Austin, Texas, right? That's where my state legislature is. More attention needs to be realized that despite the fact that we put all these billions of dollars into the system in Washington, a majority of the things that affect your day-to-day are locally. And so that means, like people had said, you need to realize this and become aware of it and take 
manner use of your time. To correct that issue, you must become a paragon of virtue yourself and participate in the system and not find yourself atomized and alone and to let people who are not interested simply take their options and take their interests and speak on your behalf, even though whatever they may say may not be in your interest. This means participating in your local city council meetings. This means running for the local dog catcher. This means writing your state representative. Yes, those things take time. And even though the anti-democracy side says, well, by doing all that, it's not worthwhile, but that's incorrect because by the time that you make these people aware, the 40% of uh, Americans that don't participate in democracy would fundamentally make it better if they actually got off their ass and did something. But instead, we've gotten to a point where we have consigned ourselves and resigned ourselves to think, well, this is as good as it gets. This is where we are at. And this is simply how it's going to be. But if you were to actually engage within the system and find that, A, it's incredibly accessible, and to B, that there are plenty of ways to actually organize and initiate and affect change, then you would find a way to correct that problem. Armand, what say you? Um, well, I have to, we have three minutes left and I have to run actually because I have a work meeting at three. So. Um, oh no, I wanted you to stick around for the unmasking for just a little bit. I don't I'm know, sorry, would it be really possible? Yeah. Rip the mask would off it then, fuck it, rip okay. the mask off. <laughs> okay, right would it be now. possible for, yeah, rip the mask off right now, let's just go right into it. I would love for you to just stick around just for a wee bit with the mask off. Sure, mask off. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> okay, so now, now Red that you have the, on democracy, bro. Yeah, now that you have the mask off, just uh, let us know in general, tell like what, what your you real really thought. Think. Yeah, sure. tell us what you really think. Um, I think actually what Prudentials was saying was like at the end, like really encouraged me. It's like, yeah, like through this whatever system you have, um, none of it's going to work unless you don't get involved and try to change it and have an effect on it. And uh, the the ways that I found the most impact is actually do through local involvement, like local party committees, local elections, things like that, you can make a huge difference. And um, broadly speaking, like in terms of the arguments, I think the long-term, the biggest problem with really autocracy versus democracy and things that Prudentials hinted at was that it's very hard to figure out who's in charge, right? Like the arguments for technocracy that I made were all about like, well, like if you had really smart, good people in charge, like they'd make good, smart decisions, but like, who's smart good people, right? Like Joel and I like have clearly very fundamentally different views of the world. I probably think some of you as an expert is very different from who he thinks is an expert. And I think democracy right now is an imperfect, but the best system we have to sort of try to, to get to that. Um, I also think just quickly, like the nihilism of, well, we can't know anything. Everything's corrupt and biased. Like, I don't know, man, like we're on a Zoom call that was developed by scientists who like had to figure that shit out eventually. Like there are some ways to test things against reality. Like there are value questions like abortion, which tend to be just like, mm. what do you believe about the world? But there are also just like empirical ones. And um, no, I, I agree yeah. there. But do, if, but do you think Zoom that maybe like a democratic election? Well, how should we how should we build this uh, computer program? Voting guys? by Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. it would have failed. I mean, Zoom is I think the company Zoom is a autocracy. It has a CEO who tells everyone what to do. And then no, they employ not... engineers, much like I, that's I, the way I, our society actually works. Yeah, people in charge who employ social yeah. engineers. Maybe we think neoliberalism. <laughs> you know, I'm, what I'm saying is, I, 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 those were like two separate points. I was just saying, let's like, be so nihilistic yeah. to believe that there's no science and no facts, because we can obviously like test some things against reality. In terms of what I believe in democracy, I think, like Churchill said, democracy is a bad system, but the least bad of the ones we have. Um, because how we deter there, 
it's very, very hard to set up a system that chooses like the right people to be in charge. And like, even in China, for example, like they had this whole thing, like we'll be an oligarchy in the party and then you have a transition and so on. And then Xi Jinping just changed it. And is like, well, actually, fuck it. I'm not transitioning and I'm in charge forever. And who knows what's going to happen there. True. Um, well, I know you have right. a limited time. Yeah. I just want to quickly have the prudentialist, since he was your opponent here, say something real quick just uh, for how he thought you did or anything related to that before you go. I, I thought you did fine. Like you did good. I mean, obviously you had a lot more prep than I did. I, I got invited like the, the day before. Um, so this was all sort of just scribbled down. Uh, I have a formal speech and debate experience while in high school oh, cool. and I did it collegiately. So you did really well with your research. You did really well on your follow through and flow. So you and I may disagree on things in real life, but the fact that you engage locally, you participate in the system, I have a ton of respect for that. So it was nice to chat with you. Thank you. Likewise, I did a, I have a debate background too. So. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so cool. There we go. Right. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Armand. Follow thank Armand you. on Twitter. Here is the link to Armand's Twitter. So uh, thank you so much, Armand, for being here. I have a debate background too. I would just just like basically yeah. argue with my teachers in high school <laughs> by the way prudentialist that. that was kind of a humble brag though in a way when you said like uh you know oh well uh you know uh you did this whole thing and it only took me you know but anyway i'm not gonna get into that right now but oh, i wasn't right, trying to humble brag it at I all know. i was like you oh lifted in I, the library, to, bro. I was like oh shit like i have to like <laughs> find all these arguments and, and play devil's advocate for a position i'm usually critical of and i'm like well shit <laughs> no you did you did uh you you know, oh, you know what's you know what's crazy? You mentioned Klaus Schwab today. I think is he actually who's the guy on Twitter the the, the Rothschild? Is he actually a Rothschild member, David Rothschild? Yeah, of course. He yeah. Is. Okay. Okay. He said today that um, the only vote against this bill, uh, Prudentialist, you you probably know about this anti Asian thing bill. It was the only one that voted against it was Josh Hawley, right? Because he's got to be based. So he, he <laughs> David Rothschild said that the real intention is that uh, Josh Hawley just wants to end the Republic. And I want, I screen cap, I'm going to tweet out something like, you know, it takes one to know one about ending Republics, right? The, the Rothschilds. But, um, um, they would just say, I mean, I wish. I've been under a rock. What is this uh, bill you're talking about for those who are uninformed like me? Yeah, I, I've just heard about this today. Something about anti-Asian hate. That's uh, one of these symbolic <laughs> boilerplate. Like, there's so much. Like, we're be literally. It's like, like in World War II when we fucking put them in camps. You know, like it's happening every day right now. But uh, yeah, so oh, but the, don't mention black, who does it though. No, no don't mention. But like, uh, no, but black seriously, person what abuses is, an Asian person. Now the white supremacist American government can put them in jail. Well, so. you see, structural racism <laughs> made them. Anyways, Prudentialist, what is this bill about? <laughs> Uh, so let me pull up an article for you there on that and I can yeah. give everybody. So apparently it was a bill targeting Asian hate crime or hate crimes against Asian Americans. And it passed the Senate with bipartisan support, except for Josh Hawley. I thought Asians were white people now. I don't understand. Wait, so what would this oh, bill do people. necessarily? What way to like draft the Asian vote into the Democrats by well, this is, like, yeah. encouraging <laughs> no, them to say yes, see, you will be included in our like BS dialogue that, that, around no, no, that, that, that is the exact actual, reason. But what is the actual practical things that are written in the bill that it's supposed to do? Because yeah. that cares. is the 
that is the implied. Sure, who cares? <laughs> I care because I'm just curious what exactly they wrote down. What exactly Web just wants to figure out how to like loophole, like racially abuse. Like how do I how do I commit a hate crime against the Asian and get away with it? Like, you know, gotta they're gonna this. have the Hajino line, but only with like Asia. So if you're like Chinese or Japanese, no way. But if you're like some other like browner version of Asian. Then sorry prudentious we keep cutting you up I'm sorry. oh you're good uh, you're you're absolutely fine i'm pulling up the the measure itself so let's take a look how, how do they determine Canada, whether racism was the reason why you like what if you just beat up an asian guy just because like for totally non-racist reasons like how do you well that was like the matthew shepherd case it was really uh, people say that it was the drug deal got that gone that went bad it wasn't that he was yeah. gay uh but then i, I like, did, I did became... a poster for the laramie project by the way which is standing oh, in my hang because i was in lee strasberg theater institute and there was this play the laramie project i wasn't in it but i did the poster for it it's hanging in my hallway oh, wait man. till you see this thing i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it up but after right. i hear the prudentialist yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. so, the pr so apparently um no later than seven days after the date of enactment of this act the attorney general saw designate an officer or employee of the department of justice whose responsibility is to essentially talk about, you know, um, hate crimes and reporting them to federal and local agencies. Uh, it, this is, a, it's a lot of boilerplate in regards to, you know, um, hate crimes and the DOJ taking advantage of it. And then they have a, a Jabara Hire No Hate Act. Oh boy. The Khalid Jabara and Heather Hire National Opposition to Hate, Threats, and Equality oh Act God. of 2021. Wow. Oh boy. Um, uh, it's talking about United States Hate Crime Statistics Act and from 1990. Um, and it's supposed to apparently expand it um, to include uh, eradication of bias motivated violence, to include anti Asian hate crimes. There's a lot of reference to COVID 19 in here. Um, but how do you eradicate it? I, I, what's the step by step process here? Well, it's a 21 page bill. Give me a second. Okay. <laughs> it's like, Canada, it's like cycle we have back these all the time. I've got a new bill reads. proposal. <laughs> okay. All bills must have a too long, didn't read addenda so that... I, I wholeheartedly agree give me a tldr for Congress that was like and... the uh the, the what was the report that that one journalist wrote like an erotic short fiction about the, the <laughs> fbi trump comey oh, man. this is a good point that should have been brought up in the debate actually that like ultimately remember when like rand paul put like a read the bill act yeah. Oh yeah, no, and Congress, nobody uh, wanted to do it because it would have taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They voted against that. Now we, they voted yeah. against reading the things that they vote on. So, like, if they don't read it, let alone write it, who's writing it and deciding? Well, I mean, you know, you know that's, 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 that's the it's problem. Such a lawyers that work systems. for like some yeah, foundation or you know like when Nancy Pelosi said to the Rand Paul on the floor of the House when that came up, this was like 2016 or so. 20 no before she said um, the health care bill. We will read it when we pass the no 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 what she you said have to, you oh, have sorry, to you have to pass the law yeah, we and find have... out what's in it exactly that's <laughs> what it was all right look at this this is the laramie project poster that i created for uh, lee strasberg theater institute oh wow oh oh boy wow. what do you think of that huh that kind of reminds me of issues the corn cover for issues that, that oh, a little bit yeah a little, a little bit. bit yeah 
Super, oh, oh, he's going. Oh, he can't green see the green. Here. <laughs> the yeah. fucking green screen. It's like some weird. It has literally nothing to do with Laramu Project whatsoever. Louise it's Kaufman. Just a, it's just a doll, like a creepy little zombie doll with a helicopter that's like attached to the spike on it, and there's a church below. I guess that has something to do with Laramu Project. And there's like this river that's coming out of his, uh, coming out of his leg over here. The Laramu Project leg. So there we go. That, that's what that looks like. The so Laramie essentially, project. the law from how I'm, I'm I'm skimming through here is that it is essentially the DOJ is going to give grant money under the Hate Crime Statistics Act to you know the FBI and then state and local law enforcement agencies to have more qualitative and quantitative analysis of hate crimes, the number of hate crimes reported and who does them, and how much money the states will give it, and uh, essentially that, and having specialized units in the FBI, DOJ, and state and local agencies of collecting and reporting hate crime data. Yeah, it, so it will do tell nothing. Tell me credentials. When I, was, when I was a kid, I used to call one Chinese restaurant and make a really, really long order and then call another Chinese restaurant and, and my, get my friend to make a really long order. And then I would say, can you repeat that and then put the phones together? <laughs> would this be considered a hate crime, would you say, under oh, this legislation? Those videos are on YouTube as well. Uh, they're pretty funny, like the ones where they just have the two Chinese people talking back to each other. The best was um, back in the, the heyday of YouTube prank calling. Um, they they had the irate black man guy and it was always the picture of Ving Rams. They had the soundboard from Sound Realms of Darkness and they would play the soundboard to the original um, irate black man. And so he was like talking to himself. Then halfway through the call, he realized it was himself. So, um, but no, the, the CU Americans are lucky. In Canada, we have all sorts of these boilerplate bullshit laws every time something happens. I mean, just the other day, these, uh, I was, someone DM me this, this court case where these two friends posted a Wyatt man memes around their campus. And now they're going to get fixed jail time for a uh, hate crimes. Cause uh, wait, is this know. Canada? Yes. Yes. This is well in Canada. We have much more tooth because we had the uh, human rights commission's bullshit that Stephen Harper killed, but then Justin Trudeau had to resurrect it from the grave. That was like the first thing he did when he won his majority was bring back the, uh, c17 section which creates these human rights commissions if you if you know anything about like i know he's a grifter and he's a charlatan and all that crap but if you know anything about like ezra levant uh, he he was a hero at one point <laughs> he went up against these people but um in america you you will see what we go through uh canada is just five years down the road um, with all of these like bills that don't really say anything, but they kind of do. Mm. Well, look at Tuna Fifty Three's comment. Yeah. Canada was a mistake. You know what the best? <laughs> yeah. You know what the best of the part rake. of that Laramie Project play, Lev? Do you know what the best part of that play was? What, what is was that it? they had to hire? They have to have a character that is um, what's her name? Phelps. Where she, like literally this girl that holds a sign and says God hates F slurs like that. Imagine like having an off Broadway play and being, and being casted for that role. Hell <laughs> holding up the Westboro Baptist church. Signs. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll give it six months. There's going to be some poor out of work actor. Who's going to play Derek Chauvin in the trial of Derek Chauvin <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> the yeah. That was, the that's what give I love it, about give it six months. That was, oh man. That's what I love about the one, the Troy McClure bits where they were spoofing um, like those made-for-TV movies. One of them was uh, Locker Room Towel Fight, The Blinding of Larry Driscoll. It'll be like the show trial. It'll be like um, when 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 um, James Woods played the McMartin uh, thing. It was like a made-for-TV movie. That was a pretty good one. Um, 
By the way, McMartin's 100% real, by the way, for those who don't know, but that's... And also, we got confirmation. Nigel is coming in. Nigel Carlsbad is coming in. And he's all going to teach us a lesson about uh, how ridiculous the uh, debate about democracy is. And by the way, the uh, results, the tally right now, we are currently at... uh, uh, Armand, 42.9%, and Prudentialist, 57.1%. No, no. Democracy has spoken. It was a pretty close call. No, you did a really good uh, You did a really good case for it. But I would be curious, like, what would be some of the... Because even somebody in the chat said, now Prudential is going to spend 12 minutes uh, taking, like, every single point he said and saying, like, why it was wrong. So... <laughs> Why would you say the things that you were advocating for were wrong? And here we have Nigel Carlsbad coming in hot. So welcome, Nigel. And everybody, subscribe right now. And one last thing before uh, Prudentialist goes for it. I just want to announce, tomorrow, Owen has already retweeted it. We are going to have Owen Cyclops back with us. And he is going to be talking with us about psychedelics. That is what is a uh, crack Is Daniel Pinchbeck coming this time? He is. Daniel Pinchbeck is coming. Oh, my God. I mean, God. I sent him a message here. So he did say before 5 p.m. is okay. Uh, so uh, he did do a confirmation. And I'm just sending him a final confirmation. But cross fingers, it should all be uh, good to Finally, go Finally, I get to... Ugh, destroy him. No, <laughs> Welcome, Nigel Carlsbad. But uh, first, Prudentialist, how would you uh, go through some of the things you mentioned and uh, prove them to be wrong? Oh, delicious. I get to take the mask off. Um, yes. So, like, let's start with violence and harm reduction. So the, the famous line about how, like, no two democracies ever go to war with each other. I mean, democracy itself is inherently violent, and it... it if we want to go down, you would basically take the whole Carl Schmidt line about friend enemy distinction. Um, while yes, it typically tries to, you know, get people to not be violent by any other means, you are essentially trying to eradicate them just with extra steps. Uh, political violence happens through, you know, in, in democracy, it happens in ways in which um, the system itself, yeah, technically my fellow countrymen, my fellow Democrats, my fellow Republicans, it doesn't matter. We've gotten to it. It inherently breeds polarization and by in turn, it breeds extremism. If anything, the last 25 years of Americans growing far more polarized and to where the most liberal Republican has almost nothing in common with the most conservative Democrat. It shows in the American polity and the body politic. That's why politics are more violent now. It's why we've had more politically motivated deaths and shootings. Um, they're inherently violent internally, not to mention that it encourages um, sort of democracy to be used in the same way that Schmidt would say humanity got used for imperialism. Um, We've got, you know, almost 100 years of intervention in the name of democracy in in South and Central America. God knows how many people we've killed in the Middle East in the name of spreading democracy. Um, And when we talk about, you know, extending legitimacy to the regime, all that you're doing is democracy is just oligarchy wearing the mask of democracy and name only. Um, There's no real legitimacy to the regime because most laws in the United States aren't even actually, one, read by our representatives or two, written by our representatives. What ends up happening is that most laws in this country pretty much tell the executive agencies, hey, this is what you're going to do. And then some random, unknown, unelected bureaucrat determines what that policy is going to be for the executive branch. We have no idea who's really running the country. We have no idea who we should be holding accountable. And then we go to the most unelected body in American government, the Supreme Court, to handle uh, our political problems for it. And that never gonna expand, ever gets And we're going to expand it. So it's even more exciting. Um, yeah. But not to mention the fact that you have numerous powers of um, 
the media consent can be manufactured, Walter Lippmann. Um, and then, of course, the concern that people like Jeff Bezos and the, the robber barons of the 21st century pretty much are mandating what the government wants to do. So it's, it's sovereignty by any other means. When you're a congressional representative and you can't even have a Twitter account to you know, express to concerns to your constituents, where does the sovereignty lie? And then like the third point I made about like large scale political systems need, you know, a fractal diffused mechanism so more people to get involved to govern effectively. Clearly, that's not true. 40% of Americans don't even vote in elections. Most people don't know who their local, you know, senator or representative is. They can't tell you what their positions are. Um, and so that large scale stuff becomes nothing more than a large scale bureaucracy. So that 20% over the 80% rules. And in doing so, they're only ruling in their own interest because they could give fuck all about what the people actually want. Like democracy in, in turn works best when it is indirect. It's not done with the popular sovereignty in mind. It is done for those who actually have a stake within the nation state. Um, and if you're not doing that, then your system is just lying to itself. And what would was you a, say, Prudentialist? Oh, sorry, go ahead, love. Well, real quick, was this a uh, similar position to uh, the guy you have on your avatar, Edmund Burke? Oh, I'm heavens. Oh, no. So, so, no, no, Burke, Burke <laughs> well, is Burke's an infamous wig where Burke is very much a, yeah. you know, incremental change. And the, the reason why I, I like Edmund Burke, though, is that one, he recognizes that the idea of popular revolution doesn't work. He's got the infamous reflection or famous reflections on the um, revolution in France, which I think is seminal reading if you're remotely to the right. And then secondly, uh, Burke has this concept of what he believes that rights aren't from sort of the social contract. I mean, the social contract exists in, in Burke's view, but those rights are inherited. Um, if the people do not work to actually preserve their rights, um, the social contract doesn't just, you know, who are you to alter it? Because the social contract exists before you were born and it will exist after you're dead. So you need to consider your progeny and those afterwards. You editing it, you know, to change the rights of those who aren't even been born yet is a vast violation of that contract. And I think that people need to be aware that any citizen or any person of a nation, right, um, should be concerned about what comes afterward. Those rights should be preserved. And I think that the fact that he views it as an inherited thing, not just this written down on a piece of paper type deal is important. Mm. Um, to well, me, that's you also consider a, him part of the th natural law apparatus? Or? Well, he's definitely, yeah, probably. Uh, and that's that also a high uh, time preference. I think that plays a big role in this as but, well. But I think yeah. what's interesting about Burke- in Time preference. <laughs> oh boy that's another discussion uh sure we have is. To, we'll, we'll get steve sailor on one day yeah. um i have a dream oh boy no but um, again anybody does steve I, does I, sailor I, do I, podcasts or? i just want to quickly say I know he again, does my, my hmm. quick position is that anybody from anywhere as long as they can uh get to that high time preference then i am all for them participating think, in this whole thing you know what i mean but i'm not going to discriminate based uh, on any other characteristic but high time preference that's, that's an important a dog whistle one. for white male right <laughs> no but that's my whole fucking point I that i'm not going mean, to discriminate like, no... between people of different <laughs> races my whole point i, I, I get you love yeah. i get what you're really saying what i'm talking about no no but that's the thing about no democracy why bring it up no democracy well two points one being that no democracies go to war with each other i think what they really mean like at the end of the day they mean like no like anglosphere or european countries go with or even like certain asian countries go to war with each other yeah, they don't that, really mean that... like african republics that call themselves democracies that fucking but, but isn't isn't that the function of people winning wars that they can go well that wasn't a real democracy yeah true oh well, no 
Exactly. Well, yeah, really? that's exactly, exactly what happened yeah, in the like, 1990s. Hitler got democratically bombing. elected, uh, if, if yeah. I remember correctly. Like, well, in the 90s is a good point because, I mean, well, Carl's bad. <laughs> There's a bunch of dead Bosnians that have You know what points. it's like. Yeah. But this I mean, is, those... see, this is what Malice talks about this a lot, uh, Michael Malice, is that these days what democracy means is what I think is good. So mm-hmm. when Donald Trump wins the election, it's, it's not democracy. It's, no, it's not democracy. It's it's that the Russians stole it. But when Joe Biden or it's wins, populism. Populism yeah, somehow isn't yeah. democracy. But right. Yeah. Shouldn't. <laughs> but then, but then when Joe Biden wins and people go, wait a second, this seems a little bit fishy. They go, how dare you? You don't believe in democracy. So it, it's just whatever you think is good, that's democracy. But, and whatever you think is bad, that's not democracy. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the true Chad do. Democrat, right? Like whatever right. I think is good equals democracy <laughs> versus the Virgin actually the, believing in democracy. Like, the power. <laughs> But that, but that's also, the funny thing. Of, oh, go ahead, Joel. Go ahead, Joel. I was going to say, there's also Quigley's point on this, which is that, like, historically, I mean, of course, like, democracies all came to power through violence. That, uh, whether you look at the Glorious Revolution, the American Revolution, yeah. um, the French Revolution, and then through American, or Anglo-American and British imperialism, this system was then imposed on other nations through a series of wars. Um, but, like, Quigley's point was that uh, whether you look at, like, ancient Athens or, like, um, modernity, um, democracies only exist in time periods where weapons technology is conducive to raising like mass armies with cheap weapons um, and that democracy is ultimately a reflection of their victory in some kind of war uh, but as soon as like weapons technology becomes something that uh, is difficult to administer without having some kind of like centralized oligarchic organization democracy becomes liquidated and so this happened to us in the 20th century now like you, you know you know, the kind of uh, ANCAP meme of like recreational nukes or whatever. Like we obviously don't, like obviously like the- um, John Wayne owned a battle. Yeah, if, if we're walking around with a bunch yeah. of AR-15s from Kmart, that doesn't mean we can overthrow the American government, which has like, you know, drones and fucking like nukes and like, you know, bi- like billions and billions and maybe even trillions of dollars invested in all this advanced technology. Um, and so like- Well, that's a fun conversation really in itself. Democracy can only really exist if you can overthrow the government violently. And insofar as we can't, it doesn't. It's just like a kind of like BS ritual. Um, and even like, uh, yeah, like basically all the, all uh, liberalism is, is like rationalizing anti-monarchism like at, at, at the base. Um, uh, and so like, as soon as you don't really have a mon- a, 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 a imminent monarchy, it, it kind of loses all coherence. Like, uh, because that's, I mean, that's all it really was historically. And now it's but just even this kind like, of like ritual that we perform to like. But it doesn't mean you know, that it's Jake possible. Said, but it doesn't mean it's possible to bring it back, or does it? Like, my whole thing no, that I really want to bring possible. in Nigel. That's quickly explained. Yeah, I want to bring in Nigel here into the conversation. But a lot of the things that were brought up, and I think this was also brought up by that Star Slater Codex guy. I know I keep calling it that, Slate, but anyway. Star Slater. Yes, thank you, Gio. <laughs> so what he brought up was that all these things that we don't like, that we wish that we could squash out, whether we're talking about uh, you know, rabid communism or progressivism or any of these things, they're always going to come about in some way. Maybe it's going to take slower or faster, but eventually but that's, they're going that's to... A good point like about sorry go ahead Lev I cut you off well I'm just thinking like what is the most uh let's say 
what is the most resilient of these systems? And if we're talking about, okay, so we can't really have a uh, monarchy anymore. Okay, we can have a um, some kind of an autocratic, some kind of a dictatorship. Which we how have lo- by default. How long, how long is that going to last in the not by default that you said, Geo? but how long is that going to last in its true manifestation, which we are seeing in other places in the world? Wink, wink, buff, you know what I'm talking about. But that's a good point about, like you mentioned, Scott Alexander. Now, he is not, I mean, there's key differences between him and Big Yud. But, like, Big Yud's a good example of arguing why these sort of, like, in- incredibly, like, secularized, reified version of, se- of rationality that you find that basically comes out of the post-Enlightenment, uh, why that leads to this, like, pervasive, uh, ig- like, purposeful almost like a purposeful ignorance of like actual social conditions and social relations so for example he claimed he was joking but it's like i'm only pretending to be retarded right where he said that um and this is what this is what the rationalist mind gets you that uh well you know people aren't having sex and reproducing now and men and women basically hate each other and uh the sexual marketplace is basically in a bear market forever uh well it's the real reason is on an individual basis people are just too tired with vanilla sex so we gotta go out there and start doing some disadian sadomasochism bullshit and and people were just like totally ratioing the fuck out of them and he was like no i was only joking but that is an instantiation of what this sort of like fixation upon not looking at macro level solutions, but also, but only like this micro level individualism, that's where it gets you, right? It gets you to this, like the ignorance of the various social gestalt. That is why people are dissatisfied on such a fundamental basis as human sexuality. But that and like, you know, by the way, that Dissad isn't what these sadomasochism people believe in by the way there's a difference between the the fucking bdsm people that think that they're doing some kind of battalion limited experience and what desaad was desaad was like if you read the essay in uh dialectic of enlightenment that was about pure domination that was a mechanization on uh, instrumentalization of the human subject as rendered down into a series of holes to be manipulated and so these bondage people they're like oh i got a limit experience no that's bullshit you're just some fucking pervert in some leather dungeon in dusseldorf whipping yourself any anyways um my second point before we get Nigel cars bad is about burke the notion that um, the natural natural uh, social contract exists before the citizenry and it was always there and to take away or distort the rights of the people that were granted from that social contract then that is a fundamental perversion of democracy and so that's like the basic you know Burkeanism is like basically conservatism before I would say William F. Buckley before he came along with the neocons and fucked everything up so that's the conservative. But what's interesting about Burke is that the additive aspect of rights, because that's what people are really debating about now. And that's like every single social debate that we've ever had since like even before Ronald Reagan, since I would say 1956. Right. So it's the additive aspect that Burke would also say is a perversion of that initial natural law social contract but of course when conservatives say that well it's not just when you limit people's rights but when you add to them with various nonsense issues then people go well it's there's no such thing as enough of a good thing why do you want to take away people's rights because what's 
you know, what's someone's rights nowadays. Anyways, you know, you got the point. Carl's bad. Please go into this debate why you think it's bullshit. And also your disagreement with RS on Twitter, by the way, follow the thread. You two are going back and forth. Uh, and this it also relates to this discussion about democracy and proper mm. rule. And so, we're gonna and we're gonna answer the ultimate question: Nigel Carlsbad. Or but Nigel, let me before Carlsbad goes. Let, let me, me read, finish my joke. Let me read God what he it. said. Ah. Okay, go okay. ahead, love. Go ahead, love. Okay. See, it's ruined now, but I'm going to do it anyway, crazy motherfuckers. Okay. So now Nigel... Joe Carsbad said, can't imagine a more outdated debate. Democracy as an idea has been sol- solidly <laughs> eclipsed in favor of ethnically empowered technocracy, yet people still come up with the guy, don't you know popular sovereignty is a fiction? Take as if this is any lasting relevance. Then I believe under he was going to say how NRX are a bunch of pedantic spurgs, but that's Go ahead, love. I'm very sorry. I just had to read Nigel. That. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I mean, it's already ruined, but it doesn't matter. I'm going for it anyway. Nigel Carl. So Nigel Carl's back. <laughs> Jesus fuck. Oh. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Nigel Carl. Nigel Carl. I've seen the chat for Lev getting cut off by Geo. Like. <laughs> we have it. We have to have a tally. We have to have like a counter. And then once it reaches a certain number, like uh, I get a prize or something. I don't know. But anyway, oh. Nigel Carl's bad. Or Nigel Carl's good. Uh, that, Carl's. That, that was it. That was oh, it. wow. Carl's. That's what we were waiting for the whole time. <laughs> oh, that, my God. I'm glad I interrupted you now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. This, this is why Gio interrupts, Liv. This is why. <laughs> Carl's Hits him. That's from a city. One of the most eminent legalist scholars of our time, Nigel Carlsbad. You hit him with that fucking cornball right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> please, my friend. Please, Nigel, go ahead. <laughs> What's the question? Um, why is the debate around democracy uh, fake and F-slur, in your opinion? <laughs> because it's been superseded as mm-hmm. an institutional form of governance. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, as you people mentioned earlier, uh, the entire hysteria around populism, uh, the whole. The way that uh, freedom of the press and free speech, that uh, quintessential liberal right of the 19th century, has now been uh, pathologized as, you know, hate, you know, as uh, something that has been completely rejected. What uh, in favor of a pure dogmatic uh, belief in, of course, uh, the blank slate. Because you know, ultimately, the problem with freedom of thought and freedom of speech, of course, is that by giving reason an absolute freedom, you're giving reason the freedom to question reason itself, because the whole uh, exercise of reason fundamentally depends on certain ontological principles about the nature of thought, the nature of discourse in the public sphere, which uh, no longer apply. And consequently, uh, we're going back to the old, the traditional model of error has no rights. Of, in, in effect, we do live in a kind of progressive integralism in a certain sense. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's now dated. voice is so bass. He sounds like an actual vampire. You know? Yeah, I know. All right, thank you. Uh, People think he's, he sounds like BAP, but, um, but it's an interesting idea about ethnic, inte- like we're sort of reverting back to 
like not, I don't know, Adrian Vermeule based in red pilled Tradcath integralism, but oh. we have this odd fed cath. You know, Vermeule's a psyop, right? That's like Bap's yeah. whole shit, right? Vermeule. Um, Vermeule. Oh, wow, Carlsbad <laughs> agrees with Bap. Maybe, maybe Carlsbad is Bap. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, well then, so tell Jim from the office he did a good job. Then, um, I will. So, oh, um, so, <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, so, so this sort of ethnic integralism, it's I, I guess it's sort of similar to what um, what the Prudentialist was talking about with our buddy Apex. I don't know if it, is Apex going to show up, Lever? Is he? You got a beef stick right there, beef jerky. Apex should be showing up. I'm not sure why he's not here yet. I mm. think he's going to show up a little bit later. He's a busy but man, so... He said he's I got some reports to finish. Yeah. For those who, for those who want to know, this is a uncured sweet beef stick. Ingredients. Beef, cane sugar, sea salt, spices, lactic acid, starter culture, no nitrates. Or nitrate. I, I do, well, bitch. We have a mukbang. I want to know There's this. a mukbang audience for breaking No nitrates or nitrates too. added. Packed in collagen casing. I'm so hungry. Do, I had no breakfast. I got up and got straight on this stream, and you're killing me right now, man. <laughs> killing Miller's me. Biodiversity Farm. Guys, uh, go to. This is not I our think... sponsor yet, but I want to make it our sponsor. Miller's <laughs> Bio Farm. This is where you go to if you're like around the um, Eastern, raw milk. Eastern. Yeah, raw milk. This is where I get my raw milk from, guys. So they also have these nice beef sticks. And uh, oh. there we go. That's the. And how do they use it? Raw milk these... is legal in New York. No, but it, this is uh, online. He's admitting to a crime. <laughs> Um, and so, um, you came up on the stream with Apex, the Prudentialist had uh, his interview with Apex, and uh, if you could link that, Lev, um, they, they were talking about sort of how the left is uh, really like the true capitalist class. Wait, but, send, me, send me the link. Somebody send me the link. Yeah, link. yeah. Um, but in, in terms of this sort of notion of like, we're going back to an ethnic integralism. It's really weird how um, in, in some ways you could see this with how, like we always talk about low capital and all of this stuff and where it came from and, and so forth. But it's just that when order breaks down in terms of like actual power in society, when it becomes something that is diffused, then you get to see this these weird sort of interrelations happening where the forces of capital link up with like manufacturing consent but also link up with sort of selective ethnic solidarity and now the ethnos once again determines true political rule i mean look at the chauvin trial like you basically have representatives threatening the the uh you know the what do they call the jurors that saying that if you don't vote our way, you know what's gonna happen. Some some cities are gonna go ooh ooh. You know the political it, <laughs> consciousness of these yeah. ethnicities is is also constructed by the yes. same technocracy. Like exactly, I mean, I've, uh, exactly. Yeah, ranted about this before, but uh, we use the term liberal out of a kind of cultural inertia due to not having a better term for it but what mm. we would call wokeness is unambiguously a post-liberal phenomenon i mean if you actually read uh, scholarship for example by you know feminist legal studies and uh, i wouldn't recommend yeah. you do read it but i have and uh, like martha nesbaum and uh, yeah yeah well, no, Nussbaum, she's too much of a liberal but nussbaum's kind of like an aristotelian you know, kind of bastardized sense I, I mean critical theory in its purest form 
You mean yeah, like Octavia Butler and all, and like the the young and all well, those people? Yeah, yeah lesser known scholars, you know, yeah. from like whole critical legal studies, feminist law, all these mm-hmm. kinds of things. They they're based on explicit rejections of the cardinal principle of liberalism, which is of course uh, civic equality, right? Equal protection before the law which is fundamentally the idea of equal protection is that there should be no hereditary classes, estates, or dignities in a state, and that everyone should have the equal title of citizen, and that all rights should flow from this, uh, from the status of citizenship, which is an equal relation between uh, sovereign and subject, and of course the sovereign is actually yourself, because it's popular sovereignty, right? But... Uh, of course, equal protection before the law, uh, it can't address, you know, systemic, institutional, structural factors of inequality. And so consequently, this is rejected in favor of uh, active, uh, active uh, favoritism on the basis of ethnicity or any other protected characteristic. Uh, the whole idea of public sphere is of course rejected as hateful and bigoted because if you read uh, Chantal Mouffet, uh, Hegemony and Socialist Strategy, they talk about the idea of radical democratic hegemony to replace the old Marxist emphasis on historical materialism. Mm. And in fact, they are explicitly influenced by Carl Schmitt. And I don't like Carl Schmitt for many reasons, precisely because it's uh, extraordinarily easy to co-opt him from a postmodern left perspective. I mean, Agamben, for example. Uh, so basically, the, the left is absolutely Schmitt-pilled, you might say. And uh, You're breaking yeah, my heart, Harry. Carl's bad. You're breaking my heart. But go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I, 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 ought, I ought to break your heart. I've been so. rattling off about Agamben for quite a while now. So go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. radical democratic hegemony. And consequently, uh, you know, these uh, the basis of like equal protection has been destroyed in favor of essentially restoring a kind of uh, ethnic caste system on the basis of uh, uh, fa- favoritism. And yeah, none of none of the old liberal principles apply in a modern society because it's it's a it's a mass democratic society. The car- the highest values are self actualization, self realization. The a pure, unbounded liberty of the ego, you know, so... I wanted to get to a comment from Jake. Jake, do you agree with uh, Nigel on that part? I, I was watching somebody prank their wife, so I was not paying attention. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I like, this is it's interesting stuff. I don't have it, the... Um, I, don't, I don't think I have the, like, academic knowledge to kind of critique this one way or the other. I know that I don't agree with democracy, but I I don't agree with it for the fundamental reason that my rights are not up for debate. I mean, if you voting voting to take rights away from me or or give me fake rights or whatever is kind of irrelevant. It's it's it is just a power play. So either you can do it or you can't. It's not I don't really care if somebody votes or votes for it or against it. Um you know, I'm I'm and I'm an ANCAP, I guess, uh, and for me, it's more, how do we get it down to the smallest number of people making decisions for me? Like, ultimately, I would like it to be me making decisions for me. And democracy to me is just saying, well, the rest of the 350 million people in this weird geographic area that somehow exists um, get to decide whether I agree with or not what's good or what's bad. 
it would be better to me like if maybe if the monarch did it and then i'd be like well that that's the guy who's a shithole like you know he's the one who i don't like or or like you know depending on what he's doing but ultimately i, I would prefer this to be as localized as possible and hopefully localized to just me can I ask you where do you where do your rights where do you think your rights actually come from? Because like you know, obviously in the American Constitution, mm -hmm. you know, the argument is made that they're given by God, and this is like you know, the, the, the probably the most like OG view is that, that there is like some kind of divine sanction for rights. This kind of comes out of the divine right of kings, just kind of repurposing it for the uh, and kind of distributing it amongst the citizenry. Um, but like, if you look at something like the UN Declaration on Human Rights, it doesn't actually give any explanation for where the fuck rights come from. It just kind of asserts that a bunch of them exist. Um, well, this, so is, curious, this like, is kind of what Spooner talks about too, where it's just like the Constitution is just a piece of paper. Like, who, you know, it doesn't. It, yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like the Maestro Spooner. I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> yeah. If you, if yeah. you like the Maestro, he you know, talks about how, you know, the. Like actually writing a constitution presupposes that it already exists in the kind of spirit of, of a people because for yeah. it to be written down, right. it's like he says, like, um, you don't write something down if you don't already kind of know it to be true. It has to already kind of, and so he says, you know, the, the constitution of, of France is written on the hearts of Frenchmen and that writing it down, he actually advocates not writing it down because he says writing it down kind of can make it subject yeah. to kind of arbitrary semantics and like we can lose the spirit of what it actually is. So I'm curious, like, where would you say your rights come from? Because if you're an ANCAP, presumably you don't think they come from a divine source. You, like... uh, well, I mean, I would say, you know, this is would be kind of the Rothbard approach to this would be it's, it's just derived from basic property rights. There's really only one you really only have one right and that's the right to self-ownership. Everything else is extrapolated. Yeah, from where that. does that come from? Like, where do you get that from? That nobody else has a higher claim on your life than you because you're the first one who homesteaded that. So, I mean, I guess you could maybe make the claim that maybe- you're in, in your body, therefore you own it. Is that, what you, is yeah. that basically your yeah. argument? Yeah, you're the, you were the first one there. And unless, unless you can somehow transfer yourself out of your body, then- so then uh, I could bring in like, I guess like the filmer argument, which is that, well, you know, you were born to parents, like what your parents actually in ownership over your body when you were yeah, born. And, and, you know, and, Ro and Rothbard actually addresses that too, is that, is that parents do have a, a right, yeah. but it's not a right to your body. It's a, it's, they've homesteaded the right to raise you. So they've homesteaded the parenting right. And so this is, it's just from extrapolated from homestead theory is that the first person to mix their labor with an unowned object is the one who owns it um and since why is that true though what's like I, like why do why does mixing your labor with something mean you own it so, like, well who, who has a, why why do you have a higher claim on that there, there just wouldn't be a there wouldn't be uh a logical reason why your claim would be higher than my claim i but i, I think it, it's you know but it is put a gun to your head and be like do what i tell you yeah you know? <laughs> well, should, and and, and yeah. you can do that and that's basically I, what democracy is is you got but that's interesting of the population putting their gun to the head of the other 51 percent or 50 49 percent saying do what i say and well, in Canada, it's 30% I, I, because we have... Yeah. A... So, so you're a moral nihilist. You don't believe in any morality outside of your arbitration over your own behavior. You should be able to do whatever the fuck you want as long well, as it doesn't see, I, I think that, me. like, NCAP uh, political philosophy, I don't think, uh, makes a determination one way or the other on on that type of morality. Like, I, I'm a Christian, so, like, I have a, a, a Christian perspective on things. And in particular, I'm a Quaker, so I have a Quaker Christian perspective on things. That is That's how I frame my moral hierarchy i guess and would make my decisions and stuff on it like there's a lot of things that i say well yes that should be legal i don't think you should do it i think it's immoral but as long as it's not hurting somebody else i don't see yeah. there to be any sort of legal well obviously conflict. there are some things that um 
you know, don't need, like, you would disapprove of, they don't necessarily need to be, like, illegal because of just, like, the, of, like, practical reasons. But at the same time, like, surely, like, um, if something is morally true, like, if you actually believe in a moral system, like, shouldn't you impose that on others? Like, like for example, the abortion thing, like, if you believe that they're actually mm -hmm. committing murder, shouldn't you, shouldn't it be illegal to engage in this? Or, um, like, you know, shouldn't it be illegal to sell heroin to children? I mean, well, um, I like mean, so, so I guess what you, I would say, you shouldn't sell heroin to children, right? And in that case, you are you're violating the property rights of the parents that have homesteaded. The okay, well, sell heroin to adults so, then shouldn't that be illegal? It is what? Should shouldn't selling heroin to adults be illegal? No, no. I, I don't. Okay. I don't think. You, I don't. I don't think you should do heroin. Okay. But no, I think like the the thing about the question of cultivation of property, I you know, and again, this is what Apex was talking about in terms of like how Marx and, and like Marx just takes up the assumptions of Locke and Ricardo that by cultivating something, by having sort of a seizure of the means of production over it, then you are by default entitled to the fruits of your labor somewhat. It's just the way that they go about it is, you know, different because then with Marx, you have, you know, you are alienated because of capital, you were alienated from your property by your labor. You are, there's commodity fetishism, which then further abstracts that uh, process of labor and, and through specialization and so forth. But then of course, Locke is like, you know, he sort of stays around that. He hovers around this, concept of cultivating something and, and property rights like so this question of like private property is interesting i personally believe like i'm not a marxist i believe that um property is something much older than just being instantiated by capital i think that capitalism is relatively recent like it's it's not ancient compared to you know property is something older i don't agree with marxists there but i do agree to the extent that capital in a lot of ways takes that notion of originary cultivation of property and then further abstracts it and contorts it and then like, suddenly you're a wage slave and you're wagey in a cagey while while neats are fun and, and uh sleep all daisy or whatever uh, the fucking but then you also have with like liberalism and capitalism this like fundamental juridical shift where like the pre-liberal um, juridical paradigm was centered around status so like you know under yes. feudalism that like the certain roles and responsibilities people had relative to property was all based upon like status and like um, family lineages like family lineages and so forth and then this all becomes kind of abstracted into we have like this abstract legal individual which is like a legal creation uh, that can enter into contracts freely and like this is like the basis um, of you know like liberal juridical uh, liberal juridical paradigm the problem with this though I find is that like that abstraction is just kind of asserted, but it isn't actually like, isn't actually a reflection of like a fact because at the end of the day, like, um, like status still exists. We all, we're embedded in institutions. Like you bring in like Veblen's institutional analysis of capitalism. The, like, there is no real like way of exactly working out where your labor starts and someone else's labor begins. Because like, if you want to talk about like, well, you know, my um, personal 
uh, arbitration of my own life is a reflection of my own eight, uh, my own labor and therefore I kind of like own my own arbitration. Well, that's not actually true. I mean, everything that you think is conditioned by sets of like educational institutions, um, media institutions, like a whole bunch of like in institutions that go back behind you, including how you're raised, you know, like if you were raised in the church, there's this tradition, um, there's all your ancestors, there's like the, the kind of political body and culture that you're a part of and you kind of owe like a debt to this kind of nexus of um, institutions that you're involved in um, that you cannot really kind of like take the individual out of in a way that actually I think makes any rational sense. And so we're kind of like, kind of hopelessly kind of mixed and embedded together. And this was Veblen's critique of capitalism, which is that if you think about like, a, it's very, it's very, it's kind of like arbitrary how we decide how much to pay people for their labor, because like ultimately like, think about like manufacturing like a, um, like a laptop. There's like literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have like contributed, you know, whether you go all the way back to like Aristotle contributing like epistemologically, ultimately down the track to like a whole bunch of disciplines that enabled engineers to be trained to build Turing the laptop. And, yeah, 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 all these different that components that are built. And so like, and so like, not that we shouldn't pay people for their labor or attempt to do this, because obviously it's of practical concern, but just simply that like, there is this kind of inherent um, institutionality that you have to kind of respect and this kind of co collectivity that, that needs that's to be That's a fairly that, banal point about the division of labor, which is hardly contrary to liberalism. I mean, it's, well, it's I mean, it's contrary to this I mean, notion yeah. that that like the individual like has self ownership. If you got, if you define self ownership in terms of like, uh, well, I mix my labor with what I do primarily, therefore it belongs to me. I think this is contradicted by the fact that like the very process of like gaining discipline over yourself is embedded in this institutional framework. And so like your self-ownership insofar as it exists, like your kind of self-discipline is a reflection of discipline by your parents, other like uh, hierarchical institutions. And so like, I, I don't think that the, the division can be made cleanly. Although uh, you seem to be mixing up the question of uh, cultivation of virtue with a legal right of property. I mean, these aren't exactly clearly related. I mean, well, but it also, I think in this, this same kind of question, when you're like, well, you know, you don't own all of these things or whatever, but if you decide that you want to take it from me, I could make the same argue about what you're trying to take from me. Well, you don't own it. And you, and you have this backup of all of these cultural things and these things that you didn't fully you know, engage in all that sort of stuff. And you're, and you've decided though, that you're, that you've asserted a right over my stuff to take from me to give out to this amorphous cultural group that you, that this you is part fundamentally of. a very skeptical and deconstructive way of arguing. You're effectively annihilating the boundaries for the hell of it, but there's nothing particularly enlightening about any of this. I mean, no, well, I guess like my my point is like if you have like some like hardcore end cap position against like any form of oh. taxation or something, oh, I'm saying, yes. well, no, like there should that like there is hierarchical institutions that should be able to put claims on you that you don't have you don't have the authority to violate. There should be like uh, positions of status. Like obviously, I'm not disagreeing with like property rights in general. Obviously, I believe you should have them. Uh, but that they should be limited. They shouldn't be like absolute and fundamental. They, they sure, but that's, that's not contrary to liberalism either. So, you know, it's like you're really... Because well, <laughs> then in the liberal state, you could justify taking away someone's property by some kind of like, you know, 
utilitarian yeah, metric exactly. of like if, uh, if you can uh, condense where you would disagree with J-Con like when in it America, comes to they, uh, liberalism. Like the government seizes property all the time for public work projects. That I mean, mm. even to the point, like look what happened with Killdozer. Um, yeah, eminent domain. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're doing something with the, the Killdozer case, Prudentialist? Not to mention that liberalism was founded on the expropriation of the property of the church and the aristocracy. So, like, mm, liberals, exactly. liberals aren't exactly mm -hmm. the yeah. greatest defenders of property rights, you know, and it's... But even, well. like, that argument that a lot of people make from ostensibly, like, a liberal egalitarian framework of, like, well, why can't we just, like, go to the Catholic churchmen and take all the statues and sell them and give them to poor people? It's like, that's... That's well, that's an old, yeah, but this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that property, like, uh, like property rights themselves, have to be embedded in these institutions that confer status. And so, like, I mean, I well, would I mean, be, yeah, I would, I would support, I would, I, I would consider myself to be kind of like sympathetic to, like, pre-liberal monarchism uh, or, or or whatever, uh, and like traditional hierarchies as being in uh, kind of like. Uh, you know, I would have fidelity to these institutions and say we should respect them. We shouldn't just liquidate them at like become uh, into into just like as you said, like utilitarian calculations or whatever is expedient today. But we should mm -hmm. like try and cultivate a kind of respect for where these things come from and have. Like, but how does like... that work? Who is going to uh, run that engine of facilitating that respect? Well, like traditionally, um, you you know, basically you had the church that would administer a kind of, you know, moral paradigm that would articulate, like, I guess, like the the kind of fundamental uh, beliefs that you would ha have in terms of like who, like, where, like the legitimacy of certain status. And then you would have like a kind of like established um, tradition that would, you know, like a political tradition that would also kind of determine like, no, so like Although you're, you're, like, you're thinking in a very sociological functionalist paradigm, I mean, a church, like the church as if it exists uh, not for the salvation of souls, but purely to teach dogma as if the role of a church is simply the instrumentalist value of dogma, then any church will do, including yeah, sure. the, the universities, perhaps. Sure, sure, I agree with this. I mean, like, I would affirm the church not simply because it does this role, but because it's true that it, like, the like the the essence of Christianity fundamentally, in my opinion, is true, and so I say, well, we should our society should be based around its truth, um, and like that ultimately, like divine providence reveals itself through Christian teachings. So well, if we, well, what about? It, and and now the problem with the liberalism, liberalism as you see it, is that now people have a choice. People can choose whether to go to the church or people can ignore the church. Well, it's not, well, it's not about no, choosing to go to church even, but it's just this idea that man can decide what my rights are, how society should be organized you according know, to our own. Yeah. Like as, as Carlsberg said, through this sociological functionalism, we can like have this intellectualization of how shit works and then create a, a method of justifying authority and justifying property norms or legal norms or whatever based upon this. And yeah. I find this to be subject to a kind of infinite recursion because um, as soon as you claim this, that like your intellectual rationalization is capable of determining who should be in charge and how society should work, you're essentially saying you are a sovereign. You're like creating, like you're basically converting your intellect into, into a sovereign or into a deity almost. And so like ultimately rights, uh, legal norms and so forth have to be given by some kind of... Uh, like some a source that comes prior to like your rationalizations, yeah. your uh, and, and your, this is it, why. Well, 
Well, go go ahead, Jake. Okay. Well, go I was going to say is that we have you know in in ANCAP whatever like our our sort of group we do have a lot of thinkers who do talk about this type of thing. In particular, Hoppe kind of arrives at the conclusion that um, you know you'll you will end up with basically mini monarchies, but um, or you know just kind of uh, your own communities of people who agree basically and. Block also, Walter Block talks about this a little bit is is kind of when he was posed the question at one point that, um, uh, you know, will we ever, you know, live in an ANCAP society? Will we be free? How do we achieve that in our lifetime? And he said, well, frankly, you won't be able to because we, our culture is is not adapted for it. And it takes, it, over time, the culture has to have, uh, it's, it's a process of discovery. So it discovers what is true or what works and over time that is integrated into the culture. And the reason that we push for more liberty is because A, it's fun. And two, it, or B, I guess, A and two, uh, B, it's um, it's because this is what I would say is, is morally correct based on the morality that I have arrived at. So uh, I don't expect to live in, in Ancapistan, but that is where I would like to live, and that's what I want to push forward. Um, this idea of there being a process of discovery, you're kind of like you're going to. This this kind of presupposes that politics, like, is itself this epistemic process by which, if we engage in like um, arbitrary political um, engineering, that somehow we will discover the truth, as opposed to truth being revealed. Um, if truth has already been revealed, there's no, the process of trying to discover it through a process that you administer is an usurpation of the revealed truth or it's a violation of, it's basically like, um, like, you know, a, a, a fundamentally heretical move against Christianity in my view. And and ultimately that's what liberalism is and all these different modernist ideologies. They're, they're all heresies. They're all based in heresies against, um, um, theology and ultimately they're basically fundamentally based in rebellion against divine authority like the idea that you're like you can, you can never create an institution this is like the paradox of sovereignty so you can never create an institution that can rationally determine who should be in charge that isn't itself um you know in charge prior to any kind of institution rationalizing its authority otherwise you have to keep creating more and more institutions behind the institution which is in charge that determine its legitimacy to determine mm. which inst- like who should be in charge and this can go would... on recursively at some yeah. point you have to this re- it has to be received from a divine source um otherwise you're just going to be subject to this infinite regress and you're never going to discover but, who's in charge because so, no yeah, one I, can I, be I, yeah. this reminds me i had a teacher in high school who uh used to argue with us that uh monarchy was the correct form of government because uh they rule by divine right so who can argue with that god said so it, like that, that that's well, that's, that's a, what this kind of that's a terrible argument for monarchy though oh it, it is a terrible total, argument but i mean it's this, this seems to, this seems to be kind of like what I, i'm hearing from from you joel is that uh at some point you just have to go oh well you know god said so and and you know as as a christian like so was, quakers have something that we call the continuing revelation so God continues to reveal truth to you, and it's up to you to listen and discover it. Um, so, oh, so you're like a Montanist, uh, like Tertullian, you know, like there's additional revelations, you know, maybe Mormonism is the correct one. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> this is, I mean, it, it's definitely out of Protestantism. So, I mean, it's it's a continuing revelation, but that, meaning that like, but that, yeah. well, I'm, I'm a Protestant. Though. I'm an old Protestant slash. Uh, 
post Protestant trying to repent and return to the, the true faith of Catholicism. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say, Joel. <laughs> so I defer to Nigel on this question, and perhaps even Gio, who have more experience with being well, like Catholic than myself. Well, I think I'm trying that... my best not to speak heresy. <laughs> uh, no, but what what comes to mind to me, this is why I think if you truly believe in apostolic Christianity, as I am a Catholic, because it is my uh, genetic religion as an Italian. Um, I think that you'd have to reject sort of any sort of latent Kantianism that comes about us through that sort of like Lutheran Protestant uh, heretical tradition, because what does it say? Then again, this is the end of perpetual peace, right? I mean, this is taking on Kant's moral projects. So everyone gives each other the moral law in a rationalistic framework. And it is the sort of synthetic a priori that gives structure to the universe because it is, you know, the, the factory, it's like the categorizations of the understanding, you know, senses, sense input goes through them, then reason presupposes the noumena, you know, I'm not going to get into Kant, but the thing is with Kantianism in terms of perpetual peace, the, his last essay, uh, when everyone gives each other the moral law, that is a radical decentering of authority in terms of what was before the ancient divine right of kings and the sort of the Christian notion of supreme authority coming from God. And then it is just now I think experimentation can happen in terms of the proper systems that can adhere originally to the true authority. But when it comes to this sort of free wielding like post-Protestant notion of experimentation political experimentations becoming a source of truth within itself that comes all from like that tradition from Kant till you know law then later Locke and so forth like even the so, divine well, right of Geo. kings is is a protestant construct like you know what if we replace people with robots so they can live out this Kantian ideal there are neo-Kantians that are will, actually doing that right? and we will like, call them experiments yeah. and we will call them you know what we will call them Geo we will call them Kantbots. Oh my god. <laughs> oh boy. I can't believe you said that. Oh my god. <laughs> How dare you? But, but here's here's the problem, fellas. All of the things that we're talking about right now, this is all theory, theory, theory. Do they we have quali, lived, man? We haven't robots lived, have quali. We haven't lived back then, and again, like I always say, like we don't really know what exactly it was like. We assume that the church operated in this way and these were the laws that were uh, listened to and were paid attention to and were followed. We don't really know. History is written by the victors, which is why, again, like, there's always this weird thing about all of us being so spoiled sitting in the lap of luxury relative to all the things that have come before and talking about what if we had these great religious uh, monarchies. No, but the here's the thing. Yeah, no, we're so lucky. I'm going to go, like, take my, like, um, HRT, chop my dick off and get my COVID <laughs> injection, bro, and... But here's Just embrace the, modernity, you know? Yeah, but here's... I mean, no, but that's the, the thing, thing too, we, can, we can also <laughs> like, see that it doesn't work. What's going on right now doesn't work. Yeah, like no, I agree. Apart. I agree yeah. with that. But Joel, when you're talking about chopping your dick off and all that, my only response is what you're attributing this to how long would it take for if somebody were to come in were to institute some kind of a monarchical religious uh, rule how long would it take for all this stuff that we're dealing with right now to come right back in action because i well, my problem, just, just someone, inevitable somebody instituting a monarchic rule does not necessarily mean any problem would be solved it's uh that's not the point the point isn't like well if monarchy happened it would be like uh, like, yeah, I, I could make a series of arguments for this, but the point is more just what I'm concerned about is how do I serve authority? 
uh, and the only way in which I can serve authority is, is, is in a sense by like in the, fundamentally by becoming a like a a uh, a Catholic in my view or becoming a, like at least a Christian. But, 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 but also at, at the like same time, but at the same time, it would be by uh, essentially changing my attitude so as to allow for some kind of authority to exist and 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 kind of affirm. Yeah. Uh, affirm that it that it can literally tell me what to do, well, that's as great, opposed well, to well, about, about well, take a knee. Now, like if everyone had the attitude of like being ready to take a knee, and ultimately, rather than this liberal attitude of everything needing to be rationalized to this like ideological backdoor sure. that is like recursive, I feel like that would be very interesting. I feel like what kind of authority would be able to step into that that stage that had been constructed? Yeah, by yeah this, but Joel, notice the words that you were using. You were using the words "I" and "me," which is great. You're talking about yourself as an individual oh, taking Lev, charge, think... as opposed to advocating for a position that everybody's going to take. And the question for me is: Oh, like, I, am okay, I, I do believe you... other people should take this position, but ultimately, you know, yes, you I, believe I, other people but should. Or, but, it's imperative. Saying, <laughs> but it's different. But it's different. Let me just create explain a system really that's going to force people to adopt that position no but this thing about force here's the difference and then i want childerberg and then when yeah. carl's back and prudentialist hasn't said uh, talked in a while um so Aram in the chat Aram says that there is no utopia in a fallen world i think the question is of priorities and of what is predicated as value in terms of which social arrangement can maximize which value now clearly in a monarchical or well i mean i know carlsbad you don't like the term neo absolutist but let's just say in a monarchical traditional arrangement where we do have sort of rule by the authority of the church and of you know christ the church being you know the sort of the vicar of christ now let's say we have that the real value that is trying to be maximized is the value of that authority and how a citizenry can properly integrate Christian authority in their lives, right? It's not this sort of like utilitarian maximalism of um, occluding suffering from people's lives or maximizing eudaimonic happiness, whatever that means, because originally it meant virtue ethics, but now it means like whatever makes my pee pee feel good. Um, it's so it's like, that is the, the social mechanism by which you can craft a society. Now, if you are a Christian, I truly believe if you are a Christian that is living in a modern Western sort of like te technocratic rule by these various, um, at one point, a de-essentialization of certain aspects of identity. So this is very much like postmodern. It's a bit, it's a very like baby brain version of postmodernism. But at the one end, you also have this incredible in America, at least, but it's becoming around the world, this essentialism around race and how intergenerational trauma, by the way, I do believe in intergenerational trauma, believe it or not. In a postmodern theological sense, I believe that there's a metaphysical claim to intergenerational trauma, not the way that the wokes think of it, not in the way the fucking Ibram Kendi's and Tanishi Coates of the world think of it. Because like Tanishi Coates, he's like the few, the, the rare breed of black fedora tipper, which is crazy. But um. I think that when it comes to this question of a proper society, it is what I truly believe that as a Christian nowadays in modern society, you do not live in a social arrangement that maximizes your connection to divinity. And so by saying that, you know, like certain sects of like liberal Christians do, or even back in the day with certain off groups that say that a social arrangement has to maximize people's like, you know, sort of utopian vision of like what a Christ-like society is on earth. I believe that's 
still a, a heresy in terms of saying that, yeah, you know, heaven is above, but we should also make heaven and earth. That is explicitly in some ways a, a heretical notion of what a Christian ties the eschaton. Exactly, yep. yes. And so then you get very weird, like neo-Gnostic um, cults that essentially arise and take up political power. And so Christianity from time immemorial is sort of at war with its own tendency to devolve into Gnosticism without proper authority above it. And so Jake, I know you're a Quaker and you're one of these groups that believes in that, (laughs) you know, you went to war with, you didn't really go to war with the American government. The American government kind of like fucked you guys over, but like, but in terms of ideas, you're kind of one of these Christian groups that believed in sort of like, Eminitizing a certain eschaton of like you know peace on earth and and uh, nonviolence and um, but and I mean the even like as a Catholic, just totally fucked you over anyways. But but yeah, go, like, go you ahead, believe that Christ will return one day, correct? Like you know this is yeah um, yes. So then how would you prepare for that? I mean by like setting the stage for like the kingdom of God to like Christ to return and rule the earth. Right? Uh, you're, so, like you're confusing the last judgment of the millennium. They're not the same thing. Well, yeah, so there's there's a lot of Protestants, especially American Protestants, believe in this the whole rapture thing and stuff. Quakers don't believe in that. Um, that's oh. like a that's a new thing kind of based in red. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but there I mean I, I do see your point is that like so what um, I would say it's kind of like so what you're describing is is basically Woodrow Wilson. I mean, you know, the, the kingdom of earth, he'll bring it, he'll he'll bring the kingdom of God to earth through violence. And yeah that's sort of something that like Quakers reject because it, it's a, it's a peaceful religion. It's, we don't believe in that. And we, but what we believe is that you acted out on your own. The kingdom of God is in you. So it's up to you to bring that out into the world um, through your but, own actions. But the, and, and, but I see what you're saying though, is that like Woodrow Wilson believed that he was appointed by God to make earth ready for the second coming of Christ and, you know, and make the world safe for democracy. So, you know, he marches into, somebody else's war that had nothing to do with the United States and war actually happened anyways. Yeah. But it set the stage for world war two. It set the stage for the geopolitical situation we're in right now. I mean, we're, we're still millions and millions and millions of people are dead because of, of that. And their Um, bloodlines and their noble bloodlines as well. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the great genetic, like that was the great. We're talking about intergenerational trauma, like intergenerational trauma. Look at like the Germans, like they're a fucking yeah. That was pale a pretty much representation dis- of their former self, like. And the Japanese is well, not yeah. not to say I justify, you know, the Japanese genociding Chinese people or whatever. But okay, like, I, I say this every point. single that, on that <laughs> chat on that chat thing. I say this every single time it comes up is <laughs> Quake, Quaker oats are not Quaker. So the reason that they're called Quaker oats. <laughs> The reason they're Jeez. called Quaker Oats is because uh, is one of the one of the testimonies of Quakerism is is honesty in business or it's um, good stewardship of business and honesty. Oh, and so, I get it. It's like a marketing thing. Like it's a market. It is. It Quaker is exactly Oats. a marketing thing. Is that the, yeah. the Quaker Oats company put a Quaker on it because they it used Thought to be other honest. oats. Well, because other oats they used to mix oats with like brick dust and stuff like that. That's and, right. Uh, like Italian, Baptist yeah. oats or something. Or like a- <laughs> right, yeah. Mormon oats. Mennonite oats. Geo, you mentioned uh, the German war guilt case, and this is actually yeah. interesting because uh, Panayotis Kondelis has a great essay on this, the on the German Zonderweg, the historiographic thesis about a German special way. Now, post-war, 
the idea of German guilt actually has a very self-serving function because essentially, you know, the Germans were by having their empire stripped from them and being reduced to a kind of, um, you might say, internal colony of the European Union, although one with a certain priority, you know, by affirming one's guilt, you're essentially abdicating your uh, political responsibility in favor of living a life of um, pure, like, uh, consumerism without any kind of, you know, yeah, right, it's a... So it actually does have a kind of a therapeutic function, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But of course, ultimately, this depends on how long the consumer goods will keep rolling, you know, like if you're rich and well-fed and, you know, living in luxury, you can say, oh, yeah, I, my people are responsible for the Holocaust, the oive, blah, blah. But as soon as the goods stop rolling, then, you know, uh, people aren't going to be as happy to proclaim their guilt, you know. Based. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, I think that's what we're seeing right now. Not yeah. specifically with Germany, but with as as I I mean I wouldn't say late stage capitalism, but as the United States starts to wind down, uh, we are seeing sort of everybody getting uh, sort of what everybody was talking about earlier, where people are becoming more tribalized uh, with it, whether it be political groups or ethnic groups or gender, um, all of this sort of stuff. Is people are no longer willing to just kind of go with being you know the, like for men a, a lot of this is like they're the butt of the joke i mean if you just even go back to you know the the early days of television like every single commercial is is like oh dad he's a dummy that kind of stuff and like men are like oh i guess so <laughs> and now it's like no like this there's a serious problem and we all sense it even though we still are talking on zoom you know living there with our computers and all that sort of stuff and we're like this is not something's wrong and it's going to go wrong very badly very quickly mm. and we can't there is a general sense of this. There is a, I would say, at least in America, there's this high, a very high level of tension that I think is, um, I, I mean, it's caused by a lot of stuff. I think it's caused by high, high time preference a lot. It's the moral decay, um, this sort of, uh, sort of along with that moral decay. And wait, the, don't you mean low time preference? Low, low no, time, high preference. time preference yeah. is the. You have yeah. a preference for like immediate things now. Yeah. High time preferences. You want things now. Low time. Oh, okay. Then, then the, the, other, the, the other way. Around. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, switched that the beginning. Yes. Because oh, yeah. it sounds yeah. like high time preference means like, oh, look at all this high amount of time that. Sure. Are, no, no. You know, high time spend. preference means present centrist. Yeah. That's what. It means, yes. Yeah. yeah. So like, so, but like, gotcha, and that's, gotcha. and, but it's yeah. right now because of the way that things have been, you know, maybe to kind of go back to what Joel was saying, the way that the institutions were set up is that, you almost have no ability to be low time preference because if you don't if you don't spend if you don't consume now it's not going to be worth anything in a in a year from now so um, and there's a lot of these opportunities that are that have sort of uh, are I would say biologically part of the tradition of humanity are just not there anymore um, they're just sort but of removed. But also, yeah, how that's how what, I was saying, what Lev was saying before. If we had like a monarch come to power, they're going to magically click their fingers and everyone's going to be like no, re embedded yeah. in these like familial structures no, and traditional religious practices. Would. Like that needs to be rebuilt, I guess you could no, say, organically. I, I, I think, I think and it's going maybe... to take a long time, if ever. From like a perspective of like men amongst the ruins type of thing, where first it has to fall down and then slowly but surely people will rebuild again. Oh, yeah, well, that's history. Oh, that's, right? that's, yeah, that's, empires collapse. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, that's, uh, you know, my... that's always that saying is that is that easy times create soft men and hard times create hard men. I mean, this, it, I, I would say that maybe the best case scenario is that it's, I wouldn't even say a managed collapse, but maybe a, 
a more gentle collapse or whatever. And I think one step that would really help is like if somebody proposed a bill to expel California from the union, and then uh, that would kind of set a precedence that actually this this can be balkanized. We can break you know, this down. You know what you so, remind so, me of, Chilliver? Uh, go, oh, go ahead. No, but really quickly, Lev, you have to make me this meme where it's the, the one that's like, fuck off, I don't believe in that superstitious bullshit. You know that meme where it's like the soy jack? Oh, one yeah, of yeah, yeah. one of them is like the the rat utopia experiment, and the soy jack is like fuck off, I don't believe in that shit. Then at the bottom, it's the uh, prison experiment, Stanford prison experiment, and he's like soy facing over ah. it. So <laughs> and it was go ahead, Prudentious. You we, you haven't talked in a while. Oh well, no, it's just we are in that stage of decline, and I think to a point where you know there's some that say that it's managed. I, I think that to a degree that you could say that it's managed is that, yeah, there's some managed decline that we're seeing from at least the current regime out. The, the degree of which I think that they've let the cat out of the bag and how much control over it is definitely up for debate. Um, but my concern and my focus in my studies has been a lot on foreign policy and international relations is, is that that sort of internal empire that controls the United States I will not allow the balkanization or dissolution to take place. And the reason why is, as I look at the Soviet Union collapse in 91, and I look at the fact that the United States is the second most nuclear armed state on earth, the fact that, you know, if any sort of balkanization were to take place, you're immediately inviting a, a foreign power to intervene or some sort of, you know, international joint effort. And that concerns me because there are so many people I see on Twitter that shitpost and, and simp over like, oh, based China. And I think yeah, myself, Baizu's. Like, yeah. Well, not even Baizu. Well, yeah, that's a, that's its own thing. But like, I, I did tweet it the other day, and I'm I just I felt like tweeting white liberal was too on the nose. But yeah, I know, like the Eric Stryker people, they talk they talk about the the sin of like logo the other day. Yeah, or Spandrel, <laughs> yeah. or yeah. Go go ahead, Prudential. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> but it's just like congratulations like I, I you you say that they're based now but i mean if we can look at how other you know how they handle inter-ethnic tensions within their own borders like it, it becomes sort of a devil you know versus the devil you don't know but on the grounds of how do you reverse this and this is where maybe my uh, recent foray into my own politics is because like in the last year if you were to ask me what my positions were a year ago they're not what they are now um but i guess that's what happens when you get out of the cities and you live in the countryside but I, I think about what sort of Nick Land wrote in the dark, uh, the dark enlightenment is that the way that you correct these things are not, you need to take advantage of the fact that there's a system in place that sort of manufactures consent. Um, if you can get people comfortable with the idea of, you know, sort of these return to tradition ideas, uh, return to these systems, managing the fact that whatever is going to come next is going to be incredibly low energy compared to previous revolutions of the past, just because of how we are politically. Um, it, it's a step by step process. I, I've compared a lot of the stuff that we talk about politically, if we're ever to fix these issues, to be so, uh, equivalent to some sort of cultural reconquista. It will take decades, mm -hmm. if not centuries. I mean, also, this actually reminds me of something that uh, Jim Donald said, you know, the old uh, NRX blogger. You know, he's very. Jim Blog? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, very... that guy's had some pretty insane takes. I mean, pretty yeah, base but, takes, but it's but one of yeah. my favorite ones. Especially his it... don't do not Google his women takes. No, but never mind. Never... <laughs> no, he's he's a he's a very that's his uh, most uh, strongest. But anyway, one of his takes um which stuck with me is that he said that to the extent that in the United States there's gonna be any kind of like reversal, 
it's not gonna be a uh, some kind of a right-wing revolution, something that openly breaks with the current uh, hegemonic uh, post-liberal wokeness thing. It's gonna be we're gonna get a Stalin figure, but the way uh, Jim portrays Stalin is basically so some guy comes up is like a strong man and he says. Comrades, we have successfully achieved the utopia of perfect equality, and anyone who disagrees will be shot. So that, that's that's basically uh, the general <laughs> outline. Yeah, that could we'll we'll, we'll achieve uh, year zero of equality. But I no, think, but you, you, yeah. no, but like basically the point is like you're saying that the present state is the you've achieved the millennium, and you know consequently, and then by saying you've achieved the millennium you're basically freezing progress at a certain point mm. and anyone who wants to carry any further gets you know gulagged you know essentially I, but that would and be also like, like stalin reversed it right like didn't like the kind of like the orthodox church suddenly come back online he kind of uh um, kind of i mean he, like yeah. he made, like gay get gay uh all these reforms, he, he, like that. Stalin. You see, like leftists complain about Stalin as being a reactionary because he kind of like brought like social. Yeah, Bell hates back. Mm, No, I mean not not exactly. Like I mean, the ch- persecutions of the church in the USSR continued well into the seventies <laughs> and including like many. Yeah, years it was. Stuff. Yeah, he, I mean, I didn't mean that he reversed Brezhnev. it completely, but he kind of relaxed it and like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah. And he was slowly, to, uh, slowly headed back in a conservative. He, he did also and, significantly reverse a lot of the Leninist 1922 1923 laws in regards to the decriminalization of homosexuality and aspects of divorce. It promoted yeah. like a Russian nationalist historiography, you know, about Alexander Nevsky, people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah the guy, the guy who uh, socialist worked under the uh, well. socialist Nevsky, patriotism. The- well, yeah. Alexander Nevsky, the guy who worked under the Golden Horde, I think that's actually a very good comparison here, because we have Stalin, a guy who uh, m- murdered and massacred uh, millions of uh, Russians, advocating for the guy who used to burn down villages that wouldn't pay money to the uh, Golden Horde. So I think it's a very uh, apt comparison right there, the well, kind of figures with, that get propped up. With Russia, like, I mean, th- this is what I wanted to bring up, Prudentialist remind me of, reminded me of um when it comes to sort of like the the particular brand of like tolstoy quietism christianity where you've basically consented to implicitly that there's a public private sphere and that true christian mystical christianity is you know expressed in one's own heart and that sort of like approach to uh that like you know as opposed to someone like dostoevsky in russia i mean that to me in in a lot of ways it's like and I, we could come up with this tomorrow stream as well. That was like when I was a new ager, that was like a hip and sexy idea of like one's own private mystical Christianity. But the more you realize that that vision is failed, like it's failed in the sense that the new age itself has failed because you're not giving it a backbone of proper authority that truly has the power to, save people's souls in this lifetime i mean that to me that is like you know what i mean that's it's kind of sus because it's like what people like i this is like the fucking new age um not new age um the youtube bullshit back in the day with like 
creationism versus uh, evolution. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, uh, I'm not like those crazy Christians there. I actually think that, you know, one's in one's private life, it's good, but it shouldn't dictate public policy. And essentially now you have after Trump, you have the Republican Party reverting back to that consensus that they had since Ronald Reagan's days, which is, well, as long as the line goes up, then we can't impose our own private qualms of against Planned Parenthood or whatever. Whereas Trump, you know, for all of his foibles, the one good thing being that he implicitly allowed a back backdoor structure of private individual states having legal protection for fucking over monumentally evil institutions like Planned Parenthood. So I think like, but now that protection's totally lifted. Now the Republican Party has reverted back to what it was in the Bush era, well, even I, I, before. I, I mean, I, I think well, maybe there's like there's yeah. a public. I think publicly that's true because you do see sort of like a a re I guess reassertion of the Romney types and that kind of yeah. stuff. But they're not the ones that are in control of that party. I don't think. I think that. But the, I I think that the thing that Trump did is sort of gave, uh, especially a lot of young people that were. I wouldn't even say right wing, but just reactionary to the left, uh, sort of this, this idea that we're not going to, like the left has always done it where they want, you know, a good example of this is this just happened today, uh, that Biden, the Biden administration announced that they're going to change the capital gains tax to like 43.5% or something like that. So, um, which is just crazy, but immediately everybody was like, that's not what they want. They probably want about 30%. And so the, like left-wing politics is always ask for the moon and accept, you know, you know, a, a high altitude jetliner or something like that. So it's like, it's, it's, uh, and I think that- Maximalism, the, yeah. Yeah, I think the right-wing is starting to realize, and, and you see this kind of with the sort of the Ted Cruz's and, and the Rand Paul's and uh, these types of people where it's just like somebody, they'll propose, let's say that they propose a 40% tax on capital gains and the other side will say, no, zero. And let's meet in the middle at five with a 5% cut or a 15% cut or whatever. And I think that's what you're starting to see that the right reposition themselves is no longer conservative and just sort of, go, you know, what Michael Malice says is, is conservatism is liberalism going the speed limit. And it's um, is instead, is they're going like, no, we're going to reverse direction now, whether it, and maybe it's, it's edgy to be a monarchist or whatever, or like to uh, be, you know, a trad wife or something like that and post that all online. Like all that sort of stuff is kind of like in the face of this sort of like left wing. So it's like a reaction to that, but it's not a, I'm okay with gays as long as, you know, it's private or whatever. It's no, we're going the complete opposite direction back to this other type of existence yeah. that is, is romanticized. I mean, this is not necessarily how things worked back then as kind of to Lev's point, but I think that's what we're starting to see uh, in the right wing of America is that it, it, this Trump was a symptom of this sort of them sort of red billing the waking up and going like, no, this doesn't work. Like we're, our country is going off a cliff and we for too long sat by and we're just like, not too fast. And I mean, that would be uh, nice well, if that, that was true, but unfortunately, I don't see this much. Like, you see this with all the, this phenomenon of like any leftist that gets excommunicated from the leftist milieu. The right right wingers are like, oh my god, they're so based because they're like centrist or they're like, oh, you saw my thread, least, didn't you? Yeah, they, they, that, I mean, that is, that's is a, this, is not, this is not a novel take by any means, but it's like 
the right we should say no fuck you like you can't be on our team either unless you're like super right wing this goes back do. to the issue with democracy though is that this is all it's all about coalition building if you can't like that's the that's the whole one of the whole issues with democracy is nobody's ever going to get what they want from it yeah it's because you have to build a coalition to get any sort of political power and i think that's what the right is and they're historically very good at this we talked about the race issue later is that the right has always been very good at integrating people into, you know, quote unquote whiteness or whatever is it used to be Irish and, and the Italians were not white. And then the, the right brought them in and now they're, they vote predominantly Republican. And this, you see this starting to happen with uh, Latinos is especially Latino men is that. Castizo futures. Yeah. They're being, they're being integrated into being considered white. And you see this all the time with the way that uh, especially second generation uh Latino Americans is that they don't mark Latino or of Hispanic descent anymore on these forms that ask for it. They mark white because that's what they feel like they are. And this is, I think, what's moving forward. That's that's this coalition building. The right has always been very good at it when it comes to like ethnicity and stuff like that. And the left has always been good on it when it comes to marginalization, like with the like LGBTQ plus and all that sort of stuff. These people don't necessarily have anything in common with each other, but somehow this this movement has like put them all together in this one tagline and integrated them into Democratic voters. So it you see this is it is it's about coalition building. So yeah, yeah, you see like you know Dave Rubin is expelled from the left or the left. He always says the left left him, you know, kind of thing. And the right's like, oh, we like Dave Rubin now, and it's because they are they're they do tend to be good at at integrating people that. Um, yeah, but that's retarded because ultimately yeah, all that does is it integrates like. Like if, sure. if white means Hispanic, then it doesn't mean anything. And like if yeah, and I mean if white means anything. Irish or Italian, it really doesn't mean anything in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's, sorry, that's, Gio, that's because <laughs> that's because because, because <laughs> identifying ethnicity <laughs> ethnicity oh. or, or race based. We want to build a coalition to win a democratic election, but at the price of like diluting. Yeah. the meaning but, but of, that, but of that's, our, that, our authenticity yeah. just but that's me, that's retarded. the that's the that's the inevitable conclusion of democracy is that you're going to continue to build these coalitions to get these small things that you want and eventually it's going to break down into degeneracy essentially and because you know and this is one of the things i think that trump did very well is it was fun to be at a trump rally and so it was the first time in a long time republicans were fun and then, but, and it used to be that it was fun to be a Democrat. You know, they're the ones who the had the cool parties. the greatest living artist, Donald Trump. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it was, you go ahead. But I, but I think if it's to take like a more serious turn, like to bring like Christianity back, it's like in Christianity, obviously divine mercy is emphasized, you know, like Christ died for us and so forth. Mm -hmm. But um, what isn't emphasized enough, I don't think in our culture is wrath. And then ultimately, like we live in a society, I mean, I think Spengler was correct to like name us Faustians. And I think we basically are entering into judgment, which we deserve. And so basically we should say, well, we probably do deserve for the empire to collapse uh, because, you know, look, look at what it is. Like, look at what we represent. Like we're this like nihilistic, um, uh, you know, total, uh, you know, you see this a lot on the right. Yeah, but that's say, still who, who gives a affect, shit about like restoring America? But that's still America. going to affect our lives. It's going to affect our lives, the lives of our families, the lives of yeah. people we know. So Joel, you and mean so that, you mean about, that like, like Nick Fuentes and the Grapers are not going to like come to power with Josh Hawley and uh, restore order for uh, based people? I mean, that's... I mean, I mean, I mean like, America it would be cool, but I, I'd go along with it. But, like, <laughs> no, but I don't but think the whole this thing is ultimately is, what is that, right. That uh, reminds me of an aphorism by Don Colaccio, you know, that uh, 
modernity is not awaiting its judgment. Modernity is the judgment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, 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 well, it's, it's the judgment for you. It's the judgment for people who are sick and tired of, uh, you know, very gross things that they're seeing online. But to the point that Jake was making earlier, I do think that a lot of people and look, I'm going to get hate for this, but I do think that a lot of people are getting, uh, you know, very edgy. And they're looking at things from now that I know what the right word is. I think they are looking at it from a very high time preference where, of course, they're going to start looking at people like John of Crostant and uh, other Kronstadt. Kronstadt. Thank you very much, yeah, Nigel. Yeah. Other people with, uh, you know, beards that are six feet long because uh, that's the opposite of whatever it is they don't like. I don't think it's because they have a low time preference and would be able yeah. to kind of like look at these things in terms of how are these decisions actually going to affect the people around me. And Hell is a is democracy, a heaven is a monarchy. That's his yeah. quote, St. John of Kronstadt, yeah. <laughs> but a Prudentialist, you had a point before? Oh, about well, the, I mean, coalition. the coalition building, yeah. I mean, we're, already, we're, coalition. We're, we're seeing that take place now on the, the main, in the mainstream, right? We had that debate with what Lauren Witzke and John Doyle against... Carlin Boroshenko and um, what's her name? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, debating about the, the role of Christianity and the, the social conservatism. But I mean, with the, the point on modernity, you know, I, I'm reminded of that, you know, almost memeable De Maestra quote that uh, people get the government that they deserve. And at this point, you know, their wrath is a very valid thing to consider. But those who keep uh, driving themselves, I think, from what Lev was talking about, you know, they, they're going for this extremism because they kind of recognize the, the situation that we're in um, and almost wanting to immunitize the eschaton. Like I, my objection to accelerationism to that point for people who want to, to sort of just steer into it and see what happens to bring about the collapse is um, I don't know how familiar any of you are with Paul Virilio, the, 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 French, Oh yes. Yeah. Very familiar, yes. Yeah. So like the, the original accident, right? So mm -hmm. any form of accelerationism or any new discovery inevitably leads to the, the corollary that you discover it's accident. We have no idea what we would bring upon if we were to hypnotize the eschaton, bring about the collapse of the American empire Right. all these things. And that's why you hear a lot from more to the traditionalists, you know, people who are just, you know, trad cats or more social conservatives on the right saying these people don't have skin in the game, right? We have become so atomized by modernity where people my age aren't married. We don't have kids. We have no job security. I'm 25 and I'm already extra screwed because I have a medical problem. And, you know, at what point do you, do you just say fuck it and try to destroy the system? And like, and I can understand that sort of thrashing, but it requires a ton of discipline. And I think that the benefit that Christianity provides and as someone who's coming back to the church and coming back to Christianity is that it provides that low time preference. You know, the, the kingdom of heaven is with God. It is not on this earth, but to do what we can to understand that we must live a life in a way that at the end, people can look back and say that man lived a good life. That's essential. We cannot say, Oh, that that man brought upon the end of the empire. Now we're all, you know, essentially men amongst the ruins. Regarding accelerationism, it's worth pointing out that it's actually originally a Marxist idea. In fact, the, the term, mm -hmm. the Marxist term is uh, impossibilism, is the term. You yes. can look mm -hmm. it up. Yeah, impossibilism. Then but, later, uh, Schmenick and uh, what, what's his face came along and who? like memed it. The, uh, the original book uh, by Schmenick or. Oh God, it's notoriously well, hard to pronounce. Well, the two well, authors that wrote the book Acceleration. But a original. prudentialist, I have the following question for you. Go for uh, it. Do, do you think that uh, somebody like yourself 
who I think definitely has a uh, low time preference as we keep using that word over and over again, <laughs> somebody like you would be able to see how Christianity would be able to imbue you, yourself with even more of that. Did it work historically? Did it work historically that to most people, the masses, whatever you want to call it, this was something that imbued them with that? Or were most people just going moo and, uh, you know, just going along with whatever they had to go along with in uh, society and that's it? It didn't really affect them one way or another. I just don't know because I wasn't ar al <laughs> around that time. And I'm trying to think of what do we what can we lean on today to know one one way or another? So, I mean, I think you get a little column A, a little column B. And the reason why I say that is because what we can apply to today's, like our, our society today. So what is it like 25% of us don't even have an internal monologue, right? That we, people who don't we have. We can't envision an apple. Yeah, yeah can't envision an apple. They can't think yeah. about themselves or they can't uh, have that conversation with themselves. Like that's, that's a good chunk of the population. And that, and I'd imagine that there's a good chunk of them that probably existed, you know, back during, you know, what we would consider the medieval or the middle ages. Um, and I hate using those terms as someone who studied history, but, um, you know, prior to the early modern era, uh, prior to the enlightenment, um, you don't want to use on, the term. Hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. But like, wait, 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 oh, wait, I'm, I'm trying for clarification there. You're saying that there's people who can't like talk to themselves in their mind. Yes. That is can also... that whole NPC meme that was like yeah. years ago, man. <laughs> no yeah. inner monologue, yeah. Yeah, no inner monologue. Those <sighs> people exist. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know What's how to conceptualize that. Well, okay, Jake, you are a uh, what was it? A uh, Hylic or no, no, not a Hylic. The opposite of a Hylic. You are a uh, not a pneumatic, but. Uh, Wait, is it a pneumatic? Yeah, I think it's a pneumatic. Jake, you are a pneumatic because you have dreams where you can, uh, you know, inc incredibly lucid, like you're going to teach me how to lucid dream. So you're like way up there in terms of visualization. Well, but, and uh, it's just like, that's wild to me that like... People can't envision an, an apple in their palm of their hand and rotate it. They can't see what Husserl called the horizon, like the life world horizon around that apple. They that can't intuit wild. around it, yeah. I, of course, think of an impressionist. No, and and, and, and the people that support once. democracy want these people voting on their rights. I know. It's, it's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. But I, even like with the point about Virilio, like the, the, the aspect of speed to Virilio, I think this was, um, was a war in politics where he said that eventually um, speed will become the metric by which so many things conglomerate to form the self that this the self captured within the metrics of speed and intensities will literally start to dematerialize. And so even our sense of self in the abstract will become so fundamentally like distorted within this field of constant speed of information exchange and so forth that we literally won't even have, like we'll achieve some sort of like light, light subtle body muksha of like, you know, people will be so caught within the metrics of speed of an ease of communicativity that, you know, eventually the self will just disappear. With yeah. The, the ultimate de uh, disassociation. Yeah, how exactly. They, how do people, how do people Absolute like this deterritorialization. quietly? Like when they're reading a book, how do they read quietly if they have nothing that they can like hear? Like what I read books, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, some people, <laughs> I have... guess that's true. It's probably why they don't have an internal monologue in the first place. Cause they never the, learned. Uh, yeah, how to I, guess. Yeah, I, I don't see this, the fixed. inner ringing. 
when you yeah. read a book, you sort of either read it in your voice or you read it in like a popular narrator or you have like what they call, what do they call it? Inner ringing where- I recommend st- uh, David R. Olson's The World on Paper for this, where yeah. he talks about mm. like the production of the internal scene of representation as a reflection of reading. So like basically his whole idea was that- um, like metaphysics, for example, is just like, it's kind of an extension of the cognitive implications of, of literacy that prior to literacy, like you don't actually abstract like words from their reference. And like, so then you don't have to kind of reproduce this abstract domain in your mind where those mm. words where you kind signifier of signify and signify. Now that I think about it, now that I think about it, if we didn't have actually, a signifier, uh... I, I truly believe that abstract painters and people that talk about mystical experiences that they're basically pointing to pure signified they have no signifier in terms of language it's where language starts to break mm. down you could see this in atonal music you could see this in jackson pollock well, you could also see this in various mystical traditions for example if you look at the icaros where the uh the icaro pattern tapestries that they do when they take uh ayahuasca which we'll talk about tomorrow but yes. sorry yeah that's sorry that's just me being a fucking theory cell no but, but uh, uh <laughs> but one thing that i'm thinking about right now is and i want to get back to what the prudentialist was talking about the column a column b but before that one of the things that i'm noticing is that when i read i actually don't have a narration as opposed to i have an actual image if i'm imagining a movie in my head when i'm reading the book hmm. well, well i can that's... do i can do both like for example yeah, I if can, i read yeah. i can I can have like an inner voice, but I can also do it completely silently. Like I can sort of alternate. You know, it's not. Yeah, like when when you're reading a story, I I think I'm more along what you're talking about, Lev, where you like see the story happening. Even not a story, yeah. even uh, nonfiction, it's just easier for me to categorize things in I my can head picture, if I imagine them. Yeah, like say if I'm reading Descartes, I could actually picture him in that boiler sitting down <laughs> with his nightgown on. And... <laughs> no, it's huh. true. I did undergrad. So, so um, anyway, you know, but I was going to explain before, oh, yes. like yes. To, to Jake, um, they studied this with prisoners in solitary confinement. They call it inner ringing, where if you're alone for a long period of time in a, in a s- small space, then you could like literally almost audibly like visualize and hear the voices in your head. And so they say people who are very adverse to like reading for long periods of time, they have that same reproduction of inner ringing where like the fact that they could see like they could intuit their mind reading is very scary to them. I know it's kind of like a conjectural theory that some scientists believe don't exist, but I think that's probably a good theory as to why people are so afraid to just like sit in silence for, um, for a long period of time or reading because reading is by definition, unless you're reading to an audience, it is a very solitary act that requires long bouts of loneliness. And for a lot of people, that's very like alienating to actually like, you know but i'm a i'm a slow reader i believe in slow reading i i think that like people that cuck over like people cuck themselves by constantly like gunning through pages oh i read this book in a week it's like yeah but did you like marinate that it depends what it is right like if you're reading something that's dense you need time but if you're reading something that you can kind of skim and kind of get the and, and you know what I would Just love reading, to read? Like, yeah. And you know what I would love to read? I would love to read some super chats. So Sneeda, some <laughs> super chats right now. We have not gotten super chats as much uh, in this stream. So Sneeda, some super chats. And Prudentialist, your column A, column B. I know we've kept you waiting on this, but I'm really curious. Oh, yeah. About, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, no worries. But yeah, so you have a little column A and a little column B in terms of the people with a low time preference and whether or not that was achievable. I mean, 
we're inherently blurred, right? Because like we, we weren't there and our, our record of history, of course, is going to be difficult to ascertain at least until, you know, we have firsthand accounts, I guess, so post printing press. But um, I, I say that some people probably went along with it because you have those little, you know, NPC people or the, the moo, as you said, but I think the others, right. We don't, they didn't have the sort of cultural, you know, content to consume that gets us distracted. So, I mean, like we go back to, you know, Joseph Campbell, where he talks about like superheroes are sort of our, our modern day myths, the Americana myths, um, the, the new aspect of storytelling that, you, mm-hmm. you know, supplants Christianity. Um, they didn't have that. I mean, sure, you have the great stories and you have great epics. And maybe if you were familiar with maybe the, the tales of Beowulf or, or Gilgamesh or um, the, the Song of Roland. But even then, right, what are all of these great stories of like of the early modern era and prior to the early modern era have? Uh, you know, King Arthur, the Song of Roland, all of these things refer back to Christianity. So these, the central defining thing goes back to the greatest story ever told. And of course, we know what that means if we're Christians. The greatest story ever told is the story of Christ. Um, and that's what this population had. And I think that's definitely what allowed them to keep going. And to, to give you know some credit to, to, to Catholicism is, is that you had a centralized structure um, that provided the dogma, the scripture, the decades, if not centuries now, of, of commentary on the scripture and what that means and how that all operates. It kept people in going and aware of that low time preference, not to immunitize the eschaton, to know that there is something after this life. So I but think ha- that, but that how you many have people that. understood. Although it. people shouldn't uh, overestimate the centralization of like pre Tridentine Catholicism, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot more. Yeah. yeah. The, the Counter Reformation was a kind of a turning point in like, uh, uh, you know, like the whole like mo- the whole like conception of everything like ultramontanism, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, goes po- back popular, to this, uh... popular piety was a lot more important. In fact, one of the reasons why the Reformation never took off in Italy. Besides, of course, the influence of the papal states, obviously, but also because uh, Italy had strong uh, traditions of like popular piety and popular devotion, yeah. which uh, yes, novellas let, especially were the yes, mm. which is why. Whereas, in contrast, uh, you know, having like a pure, like a top-down catechismal Catholicism uh, led to a kind of a backlash, you know, especially in like northern countries where yeah. Protestant princes began essentially confiscating estates, effectively being attracted to like the message of a uh, sola scriptura, sola fide, with its very bottom-up approaches. You know. So doesn't well, that my, say I something a, my, about my these uh, top theory? My alternative theory is that um, Catholicism is actually genetic to us Italians. On a ge- there's a gene that selects for Catholicism for us Italians. That's why we never had a uh, Reformation. So when you <laughs> when you zoom in, in on it in the microscope, it looks yeah, like, true. A little, you, l- l- like a little rigatoni. There'll like be a little a little, little, little popats. <laughs> 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 But I still know, like Nigel, the chi, talk- it's exactly the chi of being Italian. Is yes, being Italian. I mean, tra- <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> like traditionally, you had what was known as like the lay folks catechism. You can find many examples, like written yes. in the 13th century. So, like the the minimum dogma that someone has to know to be saved is basically the Apostles' Creed, the seven precepts of the Church, the seven sacraments, and yeah effectively that's basically like it's called the lay folks catechism for like pre-literate cultures that's is like that, the minimum and particularly that to like for, obviously, but that being said also participation in the 
participation in the liturgy most important yeah, yeah. Like basically like most but is people that enough there, for low time preference is that enough for low time no preference? no lev it's well, because catholicism well, served both a high and a low time preference in italy because in one end of the spectrum you have in for example the northern papal states where catholicism was more instantiated in terms of doctrine in terms of actual intellectual pursuits and also political power let's be real right yeah. the papal states ensured that those families had a immense degree of political power but when it came to the more marginalized southern peoples which i am half a part of i'm a half central italian um uh you had like almost half like black pro- you mean yeah half black (laughs) yeah so yeah um you had like almost proto-liberation theology which is like very much laity centric catholicism so it served both groups of italy because italy being ostensibly a very like distrustful class-based society even nowadays catholicism was like the perfect solvent like a perfect sort of glue that held things together whereas what was was a laity based can you explain like what, that? what Carlsbad was talking about? It, it was almost like you could say the proto version of liberation theology, where it was very much centered centered around like poor hill people in the sticks of Italy in the south and Calabria in Sicily. So you had like very fundamental like communal involvement with like the participating in the liturgy and so forth. Whereas it didn't Catholicism didn't really serve the temperaments or the like affects of like marginalized peoples in other parts of Northern Europe, for instance. So for example, the peasantry in Scandinavian countries uh, and Protestant nations that rejected Catholicism, they were of a fundamentally different character, I believe. Than... I mean, they were Christianized quite late also. I mean, yes. Like, and that's another the issue. Bal- exactly. Like the Baltics, yeah. for example, like Lithuania wasn't Christianized until 1396. Yeah. Which is a very, very, very late. There. Which that's actually the same year that Bulgaria fell to the Ottoman Empire. So <laughs> very, <laughs> yeah. very late. Yeah. And also you have like Christianity being introduced as basically a bargaining system between a lot of those pagan Germanic tribes, right? That that be, took on Christianity for other reasons than like the purity of a theological understanding of it, right? So that, I mean, I, I think like Varg, he has somewhat of a point, but he, of course he's fucking crazy. When Varg. Varg Vikernes. Yeah. Uh, the, the best was um, what was the one? Bosom's pretty good though. Yeah, I love. I oh, love by the way, Bosom, I but... love. I love this comment from Mumperton. He says, "Buff, he has eternal guilt." Meaning me, Love has eternal guilt for not listening to his dad and attending a yeshiva. He'd have a trad lo- wife who would make him <laughs> all the all the raw milk like he ben wants. Shapiro. Oh man, um, you know what's I funny, feel like having though, a Jewish about... wife would be like not worth the uh, hassle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because Lev, he can't settle for a good nice Russian girl, Lev. girl. No, it's got to be. I, I have, I have a Ukrainian. Thought... He's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, Joel, if we're, if we're yeah, if but we're Ukrainian about, women are different if, than Russian women. If, I hear. Okay, if we're talking about just yeah. like healthy, beautiful women, Jewish, Russian doesn't make any difference to me. They both were, you know, fleeing. Their ancestors are both fleeing from the same Atlantis, uh, landed on the same Mount Ararat. So you know, it's funny no how. There. How uh, both Jews and Italian diaspora in New York, they, they both come from like a, a culture motivated by guilt, which is kind of weird, kind of crazy. I don't know. Let's make of that what you will. But um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Geo- I don't... Sicilian confirmed now. I mean, I don't, I don't I mean, the Italian like... immigration, it was like because of the destruction of the kingdom of the two Sicilies, like basically yeah. the mm-hmm. occupation by yeah. Piedmont, Sardinia. So like, yeah, they literally, their state was literally destroyed like a 900 year. Uh, no, about... 
800 year kingdom like i think some of like it was like the norman conquest of sicily in like the yeah. 11th century yeah, yeah. then then had like the kingdom of aragon the crown of anjou and then later finally the bourbons yeah yeah, yeah that came aragon, the norman. That, that sounds so like a lord of the, the side of italy my my mother's family side comes from in Calabria. Right, that's we were conquered by the greeks by the greeks, yeah so. magna grecia yeah. Yeah. yeah but anyway back to uh the present right now the question that i was asking prudentialists before uh this column a column b situation I still think that it may be possible to retain a lot of good, healthy, and important traditions. Like, as you know, just like Geo, I'm a very family-oriented person. I think it's a great tragedy what a lot of people, especially I'd say a lot of uh, WASP society people, have been doing in the United States, where they put old, you know older people, like their uh, grandparents in the old folks' homes. And I saw a really great movie, by the way, which I highly recommend everybody watch. It's called I Care A Lot. It's on Netflix right now. And for some reason, people within uh, communities I know on Facebook hated it. This one guy, this one uh, left-leaning animation guy I know, said that he canceled his whole Netflix account after seeing that wow. movie. But I thought it was a really fun movie. It's not a movie that you're supposed to like take seriously. Like, you know, why is this uh, small guy, you know, in charge of the Russian mafia? It's like, it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the movie. But anyway, old folks' homes, I am against all this stuff that ends up happening but at the same time i really do think you can get uh the majority of people at least from the level of moo to you know a level of let's say something something higher something higher to aim for here uh, uh jules has a very interesting comment uh, catholicism is mostly about having old people control their children and maintaining an insider class that lives by do as I say, not as I do. That's a very, <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, very, what about it, Jules? That's a very reformed take, I would say, yeah. Yeah, oh, that, that isn't, uh, well, wow. But I don't know, am I wrong here when it comes to being able to Besides, what's wrong with old people of... controlling the children anyway? Yeah, nothing's wrong, wrong with that. <laughs> no, no, that if is... they've lived longer, they probably know more about how to live. Like Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I think the but, fact you know. that pe people like don't grow up living with their grandparents is probably a big reason why society's decayed in my yeah. like, honest I agree. take. Yeah. But that, that's I've recently started like, asking my grandmothers. I have like obviously, Both my grandmothers are still alive. I'm lucky in this respect. I've been asking them for life advice. And generally, it's actually really good. I thought, well, they're kind. Of, I was younger. I thought these people are stupid. That like, you know, like they're not intellectuals like me or something. Their IQ is lower. I should determine my life. And I made all these terrible decisions. And then I started asking my grandmothers, and then they started giving me all this great advice. And it was like, yeah. it's, it's like a wisdom that like that you have to respect uh, because they, you know they've been there, done that. They've had marriages and families, and like you know, they they know something that uh, I don't basically because of this. And also okay. you realize your disposition in life better. Like, like, as I get older, I start to realize I'm almost exactly like my mother, my mother's father, my grandfather, like in personality wise, we're very similar. And, and, you know, and some of it's good, some of it's bad, you know, and you start, you have a perspective in life of like, there, there is like something fundamentally uh, both physiologically genetic and also spiritual about someone's disposition and in someone's beliefs I, I truly believe are determined by factors outside of yourself and you can only really get that by being involved in the lives of people that have come before you through your ancestors and but anyways that's you well know. you know this is one of the I've, I've often thought about this because I uh my family we lived with my great-grandmother my mother's oh, wow. parents 
my mother's parents, my family, and there's, I have four sisters. We have a large family or pretty large for modern standards, not compared to like my grandpa. He was one of 14, but, mm. um, but one of the things that I've been thinking about, about lately is a, is, is that is making sure that you, you are sort of in your community, like in your family community, that's important. And also one thing that I, I was talking to my parents, my mom about this, cause, uh, she's actually, my grandma had a stroke recently, so she's taking care of her. Oh. And, um, and, uh, that we were talking about that, you know, when my grandmother passes, what happens to that house? Because that house, my mom was, my mom, all of her brothers, she has six brothers. They were all raised in this house. I was raised in the house. All of us were raised there. And it's a, it's a family home. Every holiday, we always went back to that same place, everybody. And that's the only reason that I think I know my cousins and stuff is because we all would, we had a place to go where we could meet up and stuff like that. And that's something I think, um, sort of what Lev was talking about this sort of like, I hate to say it's waspy because I always, I, we are kind of waspy in my family, but, uh, but we, but we are intergenerational too. So like we did, we had a very tight family that, um, and, and very weird, oddly family oriented, like people would show up sometimes that we'd never met and they were Marmersteins on my mom's side there. And we just like, Oh yeah, stay with us or whatever. It's like, who are you? I don't know. You're, you're one of us, I guess. Like, and, and that's something that, my wife and I have been trying to build because, you know, we don't have any kids yet, but there's, I think there's a, a great sense of lack of intergenerational community because people move around so much. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up that I think this is, is largely caused by um, not the having roads. Hard... No, it's not, it's not. It, well, I mean, you know, the, the, Fine, the, mechanic... the libertarians are right all along. We have <laughs> yeah, to destroy no, it, the roads. It's, it's uh, well, wasn't it, uh, was it Russell Kirk who said that the the car was a mechanical jack, Jacobin? It would take you yeah, away from your. Sure. Yeah, yeah. but uh, like no, that. I would say it's it's lack of a hard money, because in most families, the the male income, or or female, I don't really give a shit who's working. One income can't sustain an entire intergenerational family, and it used to be that you could work together at home or on the farm or whatever. But there there was one primary breadwinner, and that could sustain everyone, if everybody helped out on domestic things. And we don't have that now because the, our wealth is eroded by the government. And this is, again, this is a high time preference democracy thing is every single group of people that are elected, they need to get their things done now because there's no guarantee they're going to be elected again. And so they just run up the tab. And this is, you know, it's, I don't really believe it's bankrupting future generations because at some, at some point they'll default and that'll just collapse the economy worldwide. But, um, yeah, I mean, one of the good things about dynastic legitimacy is the fundamental sense of continuity. Like, for example, yeah. you take the Kingdom of Hungary, like, for example, it was founded by St. Stephen, I think, around the 11th or 10th century. And, you know, centuries later, you know, like in the high Middle Ages, you have like the chapter of some monastery or some like urban guild, you know, appealing to like the there are customary rights from the times of St. Stephen. So like this is mm. like uh, centuries of an institutional state structure embodied in the dynastic right of, of a person, which uh, that's like that's a kind of thing that, uh, you know, democratic societies uh, simply cannot have. Re republics can like in the old sense, like Venice or like yeah. Genoa, but, but democracies as such like modern, like uh, parliamentary democracies, not really. They're very transient things like every 
every new election, every new party is basically a, a kind of micro revolution, basically. Yeah. And it was set up explicitly to basically dick over, well, in England, anyways, to dick over things like the land gentry that was based on like ancestral what what plant. What do you mean, like in England? No, like in England, the landed gentry were basically the uh, kind of a multi-force of like the whole settlement of six. No, sorry, years. I mean like the feudal, like the the older families that were like the land aristocracies that had like state, like you know what I mean, like the the de- democracy, like the, the like post enlightenment democracies basically designed almost in a it's way actually like, like absolutism, or that was dicking them over prior. To yeah, because well, uh, yeah, because England. The thing about the England is that. It never, it never really had like a kind of a strong aristocracy in the same way that France or Germany or Italy did, because even, yeah. because England, uh, the nobility was always like relatively meritocratic in the sense mm. that nobility wasn't like a kind of a independent patrimonial power. Like nobility was basically service to the king, very right. direct, like all the way from like Henry the First, who basically founded the common law. Like, you know, the hilarious thing about it is like people, Englishmen, uh, they talk about their common law as a kind of uh, almost uh, a folkish ancestral liberty. But really, common law was the creation of raw absolutism. That's a, that's a fact. Like, it's mm. it's the king's bench. That's what the common law court was from the Curia Regis. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of funny the way, but like the historical... A self-perception is very different from the way it it's, actually happened. It's almost like a revisionism where like liberals go back and like, well, common law actually gave us this ancestral right, but really it was the right. Yeah, like it's the, like the Wick historians of the 19th mm, century. They talk all oh, about, okay. you know, like a primitive Germanic liberty, you know, like back yeah. in the Black Forest, you know, yeah. Like primitive communism. Yeah, yeah. But that's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, all of you guys, about how do you, what do you think of like the ANCOM idea that in order to limit like, political like they still again they fucking still conceive like they're larping marxism they conceive that power is like this 19th century thing with like robert barons what do you think of the ancom idea that like basically inheritance tax should be taxed at like 100 percent like when someone dies all of their wealth should go to the government that's grotesque really i mean i mean mark sterner of all people actually had a very good critique of communism he said that basically uh a communism by abolishing all distinctions of property by making a property you know entirely common in this mm-hmm, like uh, mm-hmm. metaphorical sense so ev- everyone is like a equally poor ragamuffin before the commune <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah. so like basically a communist he sees uh, you know large concentrations and private of private wealth and the way he's going to solve this problem Just is by making it. sure no one no one has any wealth at all. You know, everyone's, <laughs> everyone's poor, you know, and now, now we're finally, yeah. yeah. But the difference being is that back in the day, multi-generational wealth actually did contribute to society somewhat. It's not like they just no, like fucking take I would, it. I would yeah. go as far as to say that. I would go as far as to say that inherited wealth is the basis of all society. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely, extremely important. I think this is one of the things where, I mean, what you guys I probably would identify as like moral degeneracy is because you have no future generation to think of. All your mm-hmm. stuff's going to be mm-hmm. taken from you anyways. So yeah. um, th- either through inflation or through taxation. And um, when you are, so uh, you, th- you see this in like first and second generation business owners. If one person can't pass that on, he has no incentive to teach his children how to manage the business. Yeah. He can't pass it on anyways. And so 
with the community, this is uprooting this business where he sells it to, you know, a multinational conglomeration or something like that, or to some larger company. And it pulls this out of the community. It destroys that wealth creation in the community. It also doesn't give him the, the person who actually knows how to run the business, any incentive to teach anybody else how to run the business. And then he retires at 50 and goes, lives on a yacht, which is not really constructive to, you know, society as a whole. It's also also like the the ultimate end of all of this is in my view, transhumanism, because like ultimately you're undermining. Total deracination. Yeah. 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 So like the ultimate dream is like this kind of brave new life. Communism is like kind of brave new world where like, well, it's kind of, um, fundamentally unequal that we have different genetics or that we're born into different families with different parents and so we should have some kind of like laboratory where we like grow everyone with the same genetics and then like raise them all in the same institution so that we can all be finally equal um and like you know this is uh this is a kind of imminent technological possibility uh which is i think really the going to be the defining kind of uh, political problem of our time Mm -hmm. is like is like uh I think really the battle lines will be drawn between, I guess you could say, Christianity and its most in its essential uh, meaning in the in Western civilization, and and kind of bound up with these ideas of, um, you know, the family as as having a kind as being a kind of a kind of vector of divine providence versus like um, this kind of transhumanist attempt to like build our own uh, god and become our own like our own source like essentially like Total whether you look at like ai or, or i mean i think ai is a meme that is fundamentally based on incoherent no you should read the uh, you should read scott lachlan like he really he very capably like he's a kind of like physicist and programmer like in his 50s i think who all these like technical facts he completely annihilates you know mm. yeah yeah but i mean i think in terms of like growing children in vats and like genetic oh, engineering like fuck. this stuff this, this stuff i think is uh this world uh, we must leave is it it's already it's already being developed anyway. right now like with like crispr technology or like I although actually i think uh, i think actually a, a few weeks ago china actually outlawed the genetic engineering of infants yeah. by the way they did and very say that but, but my i don't argument, know what's going on in the background this, I mean, this I people, know, say, but... people say china did this china did that how the fuck do you know like logo yesterday bringing up all these statistics like how the fuck do you know that this is actually what's going on in china who i mean brought those yeah we can't we can't be entirely sure but still i think it's a fairly positive yeah. that the extent if but, there's reason to believe that i mean the the hbd nerds were complaining so i'm happy you know <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny because you have like this spandrel like type of cinephile who are like yeah. you know china like like nick land type like neo china is going to arrive from the future and bring the yeah, transhumanism and then, yeah, and no, and then nick, you have like nick, the logo type like oh base g like g yeah. is like realizing no, nick, like, nick land was like exploding <laughs> on twitter like about how china was was betraying its destiny by refusing to use CRISPR and all. Like, yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. Like, Nick like hearing like Neo China through like some uh, kind of like speed binge listening to jungle music in the 90s and uh, running yes, away from him. Yeah, listening to Asinos and jungle I'm, music. I still have, I have no idea how the hell Nick Land got so popular. I mean, seriously, like... Although I although I want to get Nick Land on the stream though. Oh, so, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So no, no insulting. I, I, <laughs> no, I keep messaging the guy, and I would love for all but of you, you guys. Know, to join. My interesting. Against... I mean, uh, uh, Nick's an interesting yeah. individual. I mean, it's not about like agreeing with him, but more about just like he's viewing him as like a kind of pure expression, like an unapologetic, uh, kind of an unapologetic transhumanist. I, I should tweet about it, I mean, this. that's really like 
behind all of this liberal sentiment is ultimately this the, kind of, the outside. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but and like he's one of the few people that will actually like, uh, articulate it. His biography is very fascinating because, like, basically he was this kind of like battalion, like delusion in the nineties, yeah. like taking drugs, and Ten then for enough. like basically for 10 years he like basically disappears from the public record and suddenly he comes back reading Moldbuck. like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> i think my i should tweet this you know how kojev said that the proper political philosopher should just slow off uh philosophy itself and commit to action so then he went to become a bureaucrat and he founded the eu right i say that the nick land equivalent is Nick Land is kind of like Kojev, only his way of sloughing off political philosophy is by tweeting like a bo- like a boomer conservative on Twitter. That's his uh, project mm. of actualization. Oh, and by the way, speaking um, of unapologetic <laughs> transhumanists, I had a conversation with Gennady Stolyarov II as far as the uh, reverse debate goes. Now, I do have mixed news oh, for you. God. I have mixed news. Okay. Oh, no. So, unfortunately, Gennady wrote to me the following. <clears throat> uh, greetings, Lev. Thank you for the invitation. While this may be, uh, while this may have been interesting for a formal debate exercise, I, I have to be mindful of my role as the tr- chairman of the U.S. Transhumanist Party. <laughs> while I am in that role, I think it would be unwise for me to publicly say anything critical about transhumanism, ah! even, in, even in the context a of a formal hurt. debate exercise. As we know, there are many people who intentionally misrepresent transhumanism and would jump at the opportunity to take my words out of context. I would always be happy. I would always be happy to take a debate position in favor of transhumanism, though. Now, the good news, though, is that he he referred me to another guy here who I'm not going to reveal yet just because I have to contact him and I have to see what's up. But he did refer me to somebody who is outside of the transhumanist party who uh, may be able to do this. So we are going to have a reverse debate for uh, for the transhumanism Mm. discussion coming up. But also we are going to have the following things. Just wanted to quick list this off so first off tomorrow is going to be a very big day day we're going to have owen cyclops back with us and daniel pinchbeck the the famous daniel pinchbeck who wrote breaking open the Get- head who wrote 2012 uh what was it the uh coming of quetzalcoatl uh so this is the uh, link over here uh, psychedelic stream please uh, sign up for it in fact i'm gonna make sure that when this stream is over it's going to directly link to the psychedelic stream so you guys could just like go right in there and set a reminder for it for tomorrow 5 p.m eastern and then we are also going to have on uh, my channel the left stream we are going to have an art stream that i'm going to be doing this uh sunday with aiden paladin and made a nomad so that is coming up sunday 2 p.m be sure not to miss that. I'm going to be drawing my latest NFT over here. Geo, I hope you can join me as well. And, uh, Are you concluding ask... the stream, Lev? This seems like it's like you're winding things down. I'm not saying I'm winding things down. This is it feels, it feels like, I feel like I feel, I feel like I'm being winded down, to be yeah. honest. I... Being done. That's, that's <laughs> okay. I'm kind of down to be winded down. We've been doing this for like yeah. over three yeah, hours. Yeah. So. yeah, it's been a while. I, 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 got, I got some stuff I got I to gotta get There to. we go. Okay. Well, one so... last point I will say yes. about inheritance tax. The reason I bring it up is because the original point to me is well okay not that it's it's to me 
uh, it's fundamentally alienating and bullshit and just terror. It's just like people that don't have like come from upper class bourgeois families that hate their parents, like Vouch, they talk about this shit. But I would say that the in terms of practicality, the original intent and pers- purpose of it is kind of like a moot point because of modern finance capital. The people that are the richest people now, they didn't get that from their parents. They have created wealth through artifice. And so by limiting political influence by inheritance tax is kind of bullshit. I think you should Minecraft certain lobbyists before you should do that to like the average pizza, like fucking guy that has a pizzeria that wants to give it to his family. Can I, I think, quote like, you if on you that, Gio? <laughs> what did you say, Carzman? Can I quote you on that? Uh, redacting certain lobbyists. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. About Minecrafting, yeah. Okay. Minecrafting lobbyists. So. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we keep, we keep getting Definitely Legitimate here. Let me see if I can actually show you guys the Definitely Legit Wooden Magnet. Just give me a second. Geo, now is the time for you to do some shout-outs to the great people who are watching right. this right now. And everybody subscribe. So I'm, I'm going uh, to hop off uh, while, you, while you're doing that, and I'll listen to the shout-outs later. Like, All right, I, thank you, my good friend. Thank you. Yeah, Always pleasure. Guys, talk to you all later. Nice to meet you, Jake. Nice to meet you. And uh, okay, so we're doing shout outs. So uh, we have some favorites in the chat. Oh, Joel also left. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We got uh, Louis Cachet, Cachet, Cachet. Of course, we got my good friend Godward Podcast, my good friend Gomer, uh, Muppetron, Buff, as always, Facile Goose. Bold Slayer, Bulg Slayer, of course. Bulg Slayer, like uh, the Byzantine Emperor, like the Bulg Basil the Bulger Slayer, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Bulger Slayer. Um, uh, Jules, as always. Um, Fallen Soldier. What is Jules? I think Jules made that joke, the Booger. Yeah, this is like Radio Graffiti by Ghost Man. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> Who we got here? We got. Uh, we got a uh, Geo the Air. Ah, oh, shut up, Geo. <laughs> um, we got uh, cans not wave. Cans not wave. Not wave. Yeah, playing. Look at you playing your ridiculous wave files. We got uh, in the chat. We got uh, uh, ovens for Lev. Shut up with the ovens for Lev. Uh, Jesus Christ, what um, is going on? So we got Oakwood. Implement chat room martial law, engineer. Engineer, implement chat room martial law. <laughs> oh, I oh, love that was, Ghost. That was a that was a great that was a great show. But like Reese, like Ghost, uh, yeah, he's still around, isn't he? he? Is but still like, around, he, but but he's he's totally, but he totally sold out. You know, like basically, yeah. like I think what was he doing? Like, uh, like basically, he gets people to pay him to like play yeah, YouTube to play clips, clips. Or, yeah, and like you get these like ridiculous like twelve hour streams, like yeah. He, yeah, then he get he gets kicked off on like every service he goes on to. I think he's on P2 Network or whatever yeah. it's called. Oh, um, by the way, I forgot <laughs> to mention, we are also going to have Bimbo Ubermensch coming Oh, yeah, in. the Simpocalypse stream. Yes, next yeah. Tuesday. Here we go. This We're going to have another women's stream. It's going to be Bimbo Ubermensch, our good friend Chaotic Girl, our good friend Default Friend, and also Athena Hyatt. So it's going to be yes. pretty... Uh, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to have to uh, put my A game up. So then we have Fast Style Goose. We got Anthony uh, Manaria. Manaria? I think that's how you spell it. Um, we all, you know, Buff. Uh, who else we got? Who else we got, chat? Uh, I think that's pretty much oh, by it. The way, okay, here we go. I'm about to show off the new Definitely Legit oh, Magnet. Boy. Definitely Legit. I don't know where you are, buddy, if you're watching this right now. Is this the $20 Patreon? Here it is. Here is the definitely legit oh, magnet. I'm going nice. to zoom in on it over here. 
So here you have the magnet and look how nice and shiny it is. And here you have the other side. You can see this big magnet. This is this is going to hold it up. And that's for so the is, $20 Patreon. The, yes, people. this is for uh, the $20 patrons. You are going to get a beautiful wooden magnet. We can make more of these. I don't know what definitely legit thinks of it, but I'm sure that he's going to enjoy this definitely legit magnet. And uh, for the $5 patrons, patreon.com slash break the rules, you are going to get the percolator status on our Discord, which means you are going to get to post images in the BTR chat, much like you saw me doing today. Whenever Buff was making a comment, I was posting an image of the uh, bear, the uh, famous Russian worry bear uh, punching you, which is one of my favorite of the uh, images that we post here. Anyway, uh, you can post the images. It's a right, not a... It's Sorry, it's a privilege, not a right. So don't post porn or else you're going to get kicked. Anyway, uh, you are also going to get, as a uh, $5 patron, uh, our uh, all of our MP3 version uh, uh, episodes. So after the stream, I render it as an MP3, put it on page available for the patrons first and foremost till it's until, uh, before it's available to everybody else. $30 patrons are also going to get a beautiful print from the Gray Giovanni Panicchietti. Like always, I am going to load it up over here so you guys could see it in action. So here is the Patreon print. Look at GeoGo. I'm too lazy to put it in the chat right now, but all of <laughs> you who are watching this can see it. So patreon.com slash break the rules. $30 is going to give you this beautiful print. $50 is going to give you all of the above as well as Jules Hamilton's very beautiful figures uh, from the uh, Warhammer series. I said it correctly this time. Thank you. And <laughs> you are also going to get another beautiful painting from Giovanni Panicetti. Uh And right now I'm working on your website, so pretty soon we're going to have your website done, and uh, mm -hmm. that's going to that's gonna look good. I've, I've seen it already. It already looks great, nice and crisp and fresh. So, guys, invest in Geo. And, also and invest, invest in love. Invest in love. That's NFTs. right. NFTs. Yes. Although Super I did read this article by angelicism uh how an nfts are bullshit but anyways go ahead buy it don't, don't worry NFTs. about that yeah <laughs> don't, buy worry my about... NFT. Don't, don't worry about it guys no but he was calling out these like art world people that are like capitalizing on it not you love of course superair.com so... slash uh no superair.co slash love polyakov here you could see uh this guy this is one of my latest works over here peer reminder this is a um like an astral realm projection pyramid uh thing that these two characters look into and uh this is he peer miter nice and shiny and beautiful so you guys can invest and love early on right now because i am only going to keep growing right now with btr with the left stream i am taking over national arts club all that good stuff this is happening this year this year is the summer of love and so is next summer bitch anyway that being said, I love all of you. You guys are great. You guys are beautiful, lovely people. And I think the last thing we're going to do is plugs. So let us plug away the Prudentialist. The Prudentialist, you have a YouTube series and you also have a Twitter. Is there anything else you would like me to plug? Uh, um, yeah, uh, come over to my uh, the Sunday stream that I have on my channel every Sunday. I cover foreign policy and international relations, and I try to provide it from a realist perspective. That way you're not getting sort of the think tank foreign policy establishment BS. Um, this is what I studied. This is what I love talking about. And this is what you'll get every week from me on the Sunday stream. Please nice. follow the Prudentialist on YouTube over here. And also you have a subscribe star, my friend, don't you? 
I sure do. Please help me, uh, you know, take care, uh, help me out here. I'm using it to buy a new microphone equipment and uh, buy an Adobe Premiere so I can make better video production quality. I've been taking a class, so I'm excited to grow and keep on doing bigger and better things. Uh, excellent. The Prudentialist on Subscribe Star. And also, uh, we had Joel Davis here. Joel Davis is not here right now, but I am still going to plug his stuff as well as Schilderberg. So, guys, follow Joel Davis on Twitter over here, twitter.com. And there you can find First is Journal and yes. the Imperium cast as well that he is also co-host of. And Childerberg is also in the uh, link to to Jake's. Uh, and uh, also Twitter. speaking, of, well, speaking of Childerberg, I don't know if he got a chance to say this before he left, but uh, there was a very uh, uh, wonderful commission that he commissioned me and my dad to do, which is the uh, shirt. So Childerberg is going to be an actual event, a libertarian event. In um, it's located, I believe, in uh, the Mule Shoe Blend Recreation Area uh, in uh, Texas. So I want to see where exactly this is, but this is his brainchild, and I'm going to show you a picture of the shirt that we did with a uh, very hot-looking girl wearing it. You cannot mm. see her uh, face, unfortunately. I'm sure her it's, face is... It's Bronze Age pervert marketing right there, delicious so, tacos marketing. Yeah, so here it is. Just take take a look at this. This is the shirt. This is the shirt that I designed with my dad, Childerberg 3. You could see the demon over here, the uh, the guy cutting the pyramid. Let me see if I could find a better image here. The one that's not being worn by the uh, person. Oh, here it is. Okay, I think this could be... See, is this a good one? And again, subscribe. Everybody who did not subscribe yet, you know you want to. You know you need to. You need to subscribe to break the rules. So keep subscribing right now. Get your friends to subscribe. You know the deal. Anyway, here it is. Here is the picture that I wanted to share with you. So this is the, uh, this is the picture over here of all the monsters gathered together. Let me see if I can zoom in on this thing. Yes, I can. So here you can <laughs> see uh, Bigfoot... You could see the, uh, what's his name, the Jersey Devil. You could see the uh, horned uh, goat man here cutting the uh, pyramid eye that looks kind of nervous, the eye of Providence. The uh, frog man's playing with the alien. Uh, there's like some psychedelic mushrooms on the ground. A lot of fun stuff going on there. So that is uh, that is Childerberg. Childerberg 3 And presumably they all do uh, drugs to defeat the New World Order, which we were going to talk about tomorrow with Daniel Pinchbeck and, uh, yes. and Noah and Cyclops about doing drugs to... Uh, defeat the new world order <laughs> well uh we'll, we'll definitely get there so and last but not least my friend nigel carlsbad coming in here in the last minute i really appreciate it yeah we never not plug his blog yeah we got to plug the blog right now so where can we find your blog my friend oh it's in the it's carlsbad1819.wordpress.com it's in my twitter account there it is right here yeah. you see it right on the screen everything you can reference in the chat speaking of the chat by the way i was always talking about how percolators get the privilege of posting images as well as having secret forums inside of our uh, discord but actually the link to the discord itself is right here i am pasting the link to the discord guys join our discord today become a member of break the rules we are breaking new ground every day thanks to your help and we really appreciate the ever ever loving shit out of you you guys are amazing i love you guys anyway anyway nigel carlsbad the prudentialist and geo we got geo do you have anything in the works right now that we should uh, know about because i'm about to plug your uh, youtube channel um, i'm i'm trying to go back to writing a bit i do have an article i submitted for my good friend lapis lima's website substack uh covidian aesthetics which is a bit of a personal account of my own experience and uh, but also like just a reflection on the last two years. And other than that, I have this 
a, a number like I, I'm I've just been slacking on the writings. I've mostly been focusing on printmaking, but I do have a new etching that I'm going to release either tomorrow or Saturday, which is all of the cast of the legendary um, end of history stream ah. part two that we just had yesterday, uh, the day before. Yeah, so, for um, those who don't know that stream, that was that that was an amazing. Uh, it was show. literally a transcendental yeah. experience for me. Um, but so and he and here is the link to it by the way i'm posting it in the chat for all of you who are uh not aware of it here it is individual individualism versus the masses one of my favorite parts of this uh is a logo smokestacks over here his little halo <laughs> his little uh, yeah. vape halo so i think that's... it's such a good mix when we have uh you me bard logo joel and and john pellich but also the addition of paul town to me was like really significant as well and that was just we had such a I had such a blast I had such a you know I really felt um, I'm I'm gonna cry right now so this uh, is the end of the stream so um, <laughs> yes no 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 it's the end of the stream when I say it's the end of the stream when I actually oh, find yeah, when I know. actually find the actual uh, icon to click on to end it this has nothing to do with my uh, left polyak of authoritarianism what it does have to do with is just me being lazy and not having the thing in front of me when I should but also uh, patreon.com here's the patreon.com link one more time and also and we have to get um. We have to get the well, Paul Town as well will come on again. But uh, whenever we have something to do with um, foreign policy and foreign affairs, uh, we will also uh, bring back uh, my good friend here, the Prudentialist. So I feel that you know it'd be it'd be pretty good. We always try to get the right people for the right job. So, Absolutely. Uh, maybe we could have Prudentialist on with our good friend Nicolo Salo if he ever decides to come. <laughs> That'd be that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and one more thing. This this is key. Our next debate stream, the reverse debate that I want to have, and I really need your help here. We have a lot of Christians who are watching this right now, which is very important about what I'm about to say. I want to do a reverse debate, uh, pagan versus Christian. Oh, God, Now, this no. is going to be... <laughs> oh, no, don't even. This is going to be the I toughest be... thing in the world. I, re I already got a couple of rejections. So, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. We're going to get, like, Sunny versus uh, <laughs> get, get, Classic Theist. I mean, you're basically, asking, to do you're basically <laughs> yeah. asking people to commit blasphemy. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not going to work. That like, don't, don't take that debate seriously, folks. We, that's not going to work. Oh man. oh man, yeah, that 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 will be funny. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. I'm gonna keep an open mind. Maybe somebody is going to come on and do this. But anyway, guys, this is the end of the stream. I appreciate everybody being here. Hold on, I had the eye. Here we go. Okay, good night, everybody. Subscribe. All right. God bless. Take care. Take care. Bye bye.